2: This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Formerly known as the Locker Room App, guys, Spotify Green Room is a live, audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use, talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app, start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games, and of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green room the Bears Talk Underground presents club 34/7 be sure and join me come through and talk with me live all you need to do is download the Spotify Green room app free in the iOS or Android App Store create a profile link to your Twitter and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern is when Club 34-7 uh, hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the, uh, on the app so that you'll know any time that I go live because uh, we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you my loyal audience so be sure and download the spotify green room app wherever you get your apps (coughs) well here we are guys we have finally come to the end of the road the final preview episode uh from our 2021 preview series started with 15 opponent preview shows talking about the various uh Um, opponents the Bears are going to journey their way through in 2021, concluding with our beloved Chicago Bears. And then uh, Monday, myself and Ross Jackson broke down the AFC. And here today is the finale of the NFC, which of course houses both Ross's uh, New Orleans Saints and our beloved Chicago Bears. So uh, this one goes a little bit longer than the AFC show, which, uh, you know, doesn't seem possible, but uh, it happened. Yeah, we did about two hours, 30 minutes on the AFC, and the NFC talk went 2.53. So, yeah, this might take you a couple of sittings to get through uh, as well, uh, or a one very long car trip. So maybe somebody is on a, on a trip, and uh, Ross and I will get you through uh, a good majority of it um, with our uh, conversation about the NFC. I had an absolute blast uh, doing these shows. I reminded myself why I so much look forward to this time of year as a podcaster. Because, you know, as I've said a thousand times, as a football fan, it's the worst time of year, especially once the draft is over. Because there's nothing between the draft and the start of training camp, and there's not a whole lot going on during training camp unless your team makes some kind of blockbuster deal like we did a few years ago for Khalil Mack or um you know has some kind of catastrophic injury that alters their season and uh knock on wood that won't happen to us <laughs> we won't have any uh season altering injuries uh, in training camp uh this year but uh the football gods you know should be kind to us because uh Aaron Rodgers reported to camp on time with the Packers so he will be playing football for Green Bay this year which means we get to see him at least uh at least two more times uh, before it's all uh, said and done. No guarantees on where Aaron will end up next season. uh, Once this one is in the uh, books, but he's all in for 2021 and we'll see what happens uh, after that. See if green Bay will, you know, trade him off and get some assets and uh, two years, uh, you know, grooming uh, Jordan love to take over. Will that be enough or we'll have to wait and uh, see, but he showed up, he's ready to go. The good news is, so did Eddie Goldman after all of the, the rumors and conjecture and, and all that nonsense and all the silence from Eddie himself actions do speak louder than words. He showed up on Tuesday was practicing today on uh Wednesday. I even watched a clip of him, uh, on YouTube it was about eight minutes of him, uh, talking with the press and, uh, not a chatty guy, that's for sure. And, um, you know, he, uh, Nobody asked him though why he didn't say anything during the offseason. Why stay silent? They did ask him why he didn't come in for OTAs or or anything like that, but none of them asked. It's like, why not? It's like you had to know there were rumors out there about the will he won't he and you know all that kind of stuff. Why not just like one Instagram post, one Twitter post? Something would have silenced it. But like I'm cunning. Kind of, I'll be there. I'll be there. Instead, he let everyone else do the talking for him. You know, if with uh, I think Danny Trevathan was saying like he's he's in good shape, he's gonna be there for training camp. It's like okay, but that's Danny Trevathan speaking for somebody. That's not actually coming directly from the horse's mouth uh, in this one. So I didn't uh, in the clip that I saw, I didn't see anyone ask him straight up. Why didn't you just say something with all the rumors and everything floating around? Why not just come out and say, I'm, I'm coming back. I'll be there in 2021. I'll be there for training camp or, or whatever. Why not just say something? Nobody asked him. I would have loved to hear the answer uh, to that question. I mean, especially when there were rumors starting about him possibly retiring instead of playing at all uh, this year. So, you know, it would have been, uh, would have been great. I mean, it's, it's done great for me it's given me plenty to talk about on the, uh, the Spotify and green room line show, which is on Wednesday nights and, uh, uh, you know, everything else, but it's just, uh, you know, dude, one Twitter, one Twitter post, one, one Instagram post, something would have put it all to bed. We could have just stopped talking about it. So I don't know, but it's all over with, he showed up, bears are ready to go. We got our anchor in the middle, uh, back out on the field and, uh, Hopefully that will dramatically improve, improve I should say, our uh, our run defense because it was hurting without him uh, clogging up the middle and you know taking up two bodies like uh, like he does so well. So uh, and he looks good. He looks like he's in good shape. Matt Nagy was kind of raving about how he performed the conditioning test and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So he wasn't just loafing around eating chips uh, for the last uh, year or so. He was uh, he was working out. So. You don't have to get in shape if you stay in shape, and uh, looks like Eddie did that while he was while he was out. So um, one thing I did like to hear him say was that uh, he was pretty much like uh, he didn't really enjoy watching the games. Not so much because the Bears only won half their games last year, but because he's you know so deep in it, he was living and dying. Like I, like the one of his quotes was, "I I lived and died with every play." It's like, well, then maybe you should have played. I'm just saying. But uh, anyway, we definitely could have used him. But we got him back, and he'll be there. And uh, the Bears are in camp. Only one practice in so far. Haven't heard a lot or or actually haven't really heard anything about the whole Andy Dalton versus Justin Fields thing, who did better today, and all the rest of that stuff. It's kind of inconsequential. One thing that I did like hearing from Nagy in his press conference with Ryan Pace on Tuesday was um, he plans to be, and I quote, aggressive with the preseason this year, which means guys are going to play, which is nice, nice to nice to hear, nice to know, um, you know, to be able to use that time for what it is, uh, especially with the guys on the back end of the roster, guys that are going to be depth players and special teamers and, and things like that, um, you know. But it, it's also exciting to see, you know, this is we're going to see Justin Fields, we're going to see him quite a bit in the preseason. Looking forward uh, to that. So. Anyway, I'm not going to keep going on and on about this. We got uh, three hours of NFC talk to get through. So I'm going to go ahead and step aside, bring in our good friend Ross Jackson from Locked On NFL to help us preview the NFC, which has our beloved Chicago Bears and uh, complete with predictions at the end. And uh, spoiler alert, I, we recorded this about uh, two weeks ago and uh, I was conducting my predictions Uh, and such, as though Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to play uh, this year. So, I mean, because everything was kind of pointed that way. I think we all knew that he would come back at some point. Like, even Ross uh, talks about, like, maybe he would have held out to, like, week five or week six and then come back and played the minimum amount of games needed to log in a full season uh, under the uh, players' agreement with the NFL Um, or – And everything, but like every Ross Ross did his predictions as though Rodgers was going to play, I did mine as though he wasn't. So we kind of got that, um, you know, those two perspectives coming through and how that would affect the NFC North. And uh, the funny thing is, even though we were both coming at it from these different perspectives, we both have the same team going to the Super Bowl in the NFC, so we both agree on who's going to the Super Bowl. Uh, this year you have to wait till you get to the end of the episode to find out who that is so get there uh, any way you can break it up into pieces break it up by division uh, however you want to do it but thanks for listening and uh, I hope you enjoy it it's myself and Ross Jackson previewing the 2021 NFC here on the Bears Talk Underground so let's get to it All right, so here we are, the finale of our preview episodes, number 17. So we did 15 opponent previews, including our beloved Chicago Bears. We did the AFC with our good friend Ross Jackson, so of course we're having him back. Talk about the NFC, or as we would probably refer to it for the rest of this episode, the OK Corral, because it's going to be... I mean, who knows about the NFC uh, this year? The Rams and their trade for Stafford make things very, very interesting uh, in this division uh, or excuse me, in this conference. Uh, Tom Brady and Bruce Arians and uh, Jason Litt out there did literally keep their word at the Super Bowl parade and keep the band together, at least for one more season uh, in 2021. Um, who knows what's going on with Aaron Rodgers, and will he or won't he uh, in twenty twenty one? And and so many teams, just in the league in general, switching to brand new quarterbacks or drafting quarterbacks and things like that. And the, the NFC, it's it's as I mentioned in the previous episode and many many times before in this episode, has sent like fourteen or fifteen different representatives to the NFC NF, to the Super Bowl since the turn of the century. And so that pretty much means that year in and year out, regardless of the team you were last year, everybody's got a shot to go to Super Bowl in the yeah. NFC.
3: Yeah. It's been absolutely insane over the course of the last, I mean, you know, some people's lifetimes when it comes out to the NFC, because it continues to be just a carousel of potential and a lot of parity across that. And I think, uh, I, I, this season really is no exception to it considering some of the things that could happen before the season begins that could potentially change the landscape of the entire conference so a lot to watch here and a lot to talk about as we go through division by division
2: yeah i mean and in and one of the things where i thought that you know the reason that brady would not succeed outside of new england is that he would most likely have to go to an nfc team uh in order to leave uh the patriots like no one in the afc would like Belichick wouldn't allow anybody else in the AFC to to have, him, even though he's a free agent, um, he'd have to go to somewhere in the NFC, and it's like he won't be able to do what he did in the AFC. Yeah, year one, he goes to the Super Bowl and wins it uh, in yeah. the NFC. So that also ended my uh, you know contention that uh, you know Brady's not the greatest of all time. It's uh, it's Belichick that's kind of been you know Brady's great, absolutely, but the greatest? Nah. After he won ring number seven. You won't hear a peep out of me about who's the best quarterback of all time. I'm done. It's like, I can't make the argument anymore. I'm not even going to try. So, yeah. all right. So let's go ahead and dive in, see if we can keep this one under six hours. And um, <laughs> thanks to everyone who who stuck it out with us for the entire uh, AFC. Uh, we're pretty much doing the same thing here with the NFC. We're going to start in the East and move our way uh, across the board here. So first up in the NFC East, um, by far, one of the worst divisions probably in the history of the NFL last year. Not one winning team amongst the entire four. And, and even the team that ended up going to the playoffs and winning the division, the Washington football team, what was it, 6-9-1 six, six, or something like that to, right. to win uh, the division uh, last year. I mean, just a mess of a division. But this team here... Uh, one of the reasons they faulted as badly as they did is because they lost their quarterback early in the season to a horrific ankle injury. And uh, other injuries kind of followed and uh, just the bad year all around for the Cowboys. But here they are. They got a healthy Dak Prescott, a happy Dak Prescott because he's got his, uh, his money, his $40 million a season. Boy, it must be rough to be him, right? I know, right? After you know, <laughs> playing on the franchise tag last year and then getting a, a raise to $40 million a season after that. Um, you know. But here they are. Uh, Happy and healthy uh, Dak Prescott, uh, a rejuvenated organization, and a brand-new defensive coordinator to kind of fix what was really broken with the Cowboys was uh, Mike Nolan as their defensive coordinator. The fallen Dan Quinn looking to revitalize his career now as defensive coordinator for the the Cowboys. And, uh, you know, their top pick uh, in the draft being uh, Micah Parsons, not a bad start for the Cowboys going into this year.
3: Yeah. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. And I think that, you know, that's going to be the big difference maker for them. Uh, It's going to be their ability to have, first of all, retained, of course, everything that went on with Dak Prescott, all the conversations around, will he, won't he, will they, won't they. Yeah. Uh, Turns out, yes, they will, he will. And I thought that was a great move by them to keep their franchise quarterback. And then you saw them give their defense a good amount of attention over the course of the season of the offseason. Rather, they also added Kelvin Joseph, the uh, really good man defender, uh, cornerback out of Kentucky. Uh, You know, they added a couple of other kind of you know lesser known guys like Israel Mukwamu out of South Carolina, and Ashawn Wright also came through there. And so I I like what they did, and they added another guy that I really like, Oso Digizua from UCLA. Thank you for taking that one
2: on. I was like, how the hell do you pronounce that? Oh yeah,
3: okay. (laughs) He's one. He was one of my favorite prospects going into. Uh, this draft because he plays inside and outside has some really good versatility stood out big time at the senior bowl as well Has a killer interior spin move I mean, he just has a lot of tools and i'm really excited to see him get some playing time And I thought the fifth round edition of jabril cox was really nice for them, too Because leighton vanderesh you know despite the fact that he was a first-round pick back in 2018 just hasn't really been the guy that they thought he was going to be, you know? Yeah. And so I I think adding another linebacker in this class along with Micah Parsons kind of protects them a little bit to where they have another option to try to develop over time. And you get a guy in Jabril Cox who's basically – you know a nickel safety to to an extent, and you can have him covered downfield. He also plays the run well. He's extremely active, high motor, does a lot of good things, and does a lot of things very well. Good football IQ as well, and so he just understands the game for sure. And he was uh, you know part of that NDSU uh, sort of triumvirate that came into this draft, even though he came by way of a tr- graduate transfer to LSU. Um, and so I, I look forward to seeing what they're able to do. They've worked him out at safety a little bit too, but. The defense is really what they need to fix. I mean, they were on record pace throughout the 2020 season, and it worked early for them because they had Dak Prescott, who was able to keep them in games. But once Dak had that pretty gruesome injury, thankfully he looks like he's on his way back from that. Um, That should put them in a much better position if he stays healthy throughout the year and that defense steps up a bit.
2: Yeah, 23rd overall in the NFL, 31st in rushing, 28th in scoring defense. So that means that they weren't stopping anybody from doing much of anything uh, last year. And somehow they still managed to win six games. And that's probably because they played in the worst division in football and were able to pick up some easy wins over the Eagles and Giants uh, last season. So, uh, you know, aside from that, you know, they lost both games to uh, Washington and I think they split with Philly and no, they split with the Giants and swept Philly. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how you finish six and ten, and uh, when you're in the worst division in uh, yeah. football. So, I mean, because it was looking there for a while. They started out two and three, so not the worst start. First year head coach, they lose Dak Prescott in that Giants game. Um, they ended up winning, actually. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, early on, they win that game. Danny Dalton comes in to the rescue to help him maintain the victory there. But after that Giants game, they lost five in a row. And there was a lot of talk. Because they won five in a row, they beat the Vikings somehow, then they lost two. So they've lost seven out of their last eight games, or something like that, if I'm... Mm-hmm. No, excuse me. or Yeah. No, no six, that's right. six out of seven, something six. like that. Six out yeah. of seven. And there was a lot of talk, actually, that Mike McCarthy might not survive his first year. Uh, as head coach, because it was it could not have gone worse than it was. The only thing that was really saving him is that literally everyone else in the division is as bad as they are. So it's not like right. they're, you know, three and seven and Washington is seven and three or Philadelphia is eight and one or or anything like that. It's like they're literally circling the bowl along with everybody else. So there's still a chance we might actually make the playoffs in this division.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think if I remember correctly, I don't know that they're up anymore, but I know that there was, uh, you know, some there were some odds on who would be the first head coach fired in 2021. And Mike McCarthy still sits atop that list. So (laughs) if, if that happens, that certainly changes everything about this team in 2021 as well, because that would mean a slow start, one that they don't have time to really, you know, uh, settle on or sit around and wait to yeah. see how they're going to be able to climb out from under it. And they want to go ahead and get something done. And oftentimes, although it, you know, some teams do get better with that, with that midseason firing, the Falcons did when they fired Dan Quinn. Um, they, I don't know that you're going to see that from, uh, from Dallas though. I think that puts them in a pretty, uh, not great position. They did move on though from their defensive coordinator last year Mike Nolan right like, who was you know The guy that really you know that came in and everybody was very excited about he had done some really great things with the Linebackers in New Orleans and then they brought him in thinking that he was gonna be able to help boost that second level Some of the question marks around guys like Jalen Smith and Le- Leighton Vander Esch And I guess he addressed those question marks by adding question marks elsewhere along <laughs> the defense So not the greatest way to really go about it So, you know if they're able to have a positive adjustment over on defense there then that could certainly help them but Mike uh, Mike McCarthy is definitely somebody that could you know should be looking over his shoulder if they start out let's say 0 and three at the beginning of the season or something you know yeah. to that effect
2: and I've never known uh, Jerry Jones to be that cutthroat in his now 30 years or so as the the the, the owner uh, of mm-hmm. the Cowboys but I would think that you know with the with the guys that he has on this team um, the window for success and being able to afford this team is getting smaller all the time. You know, with have yeah. with, got Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, uh, you know, Michael Gallup, and you just paid $40 million to Dak Prescott. You have Zach Martin up front uh, and everything. You've retooled the offensive line, and now you've got to rebuild this defense that hasn't been doing much of anything for you that's really been kind of holding you back, uh, to be completely right. honest, uh, and everything. And, you know, the window is there. We've got Dak Prescott. We have one of the more, you know, lights-out offensive weapons uh, in football, or the, one of the best receiving cores, uh, anyway, we got we got to win now. And if you're not going to help me do that, then I got to find somebody who will.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's fair to say that this is a situation where Jerry Jones, his patience is already waning, and yeah. he certainly won't uh, sit around. I, I have the feeling that there's already going to be kind of a you know, secession plan or, or, or a plan to move on from Mike McCarthy should they need to. If he opens up the season with a certain record and then they know exactly who they're going to go to, I don't think they're going to waste time here uh, with the talent that they have on this team right now.
2: Yeah, that, that, that could be the worst thing for Mike McCarthy is how talented right. his roster is right. because this is a team that should be performing better, especially if they sputter on offense when, when Dak Prescott is back. Everyone right. was kind of thinking, how badly do we miss him? Are right now, and then here he is. He's back, and he's healthy, and we're ready to go. We still can't score enough points to win football games, and things like that. That could definitely, definitely kill him. And it's not going to be easy to get off to a good start. They start on the road at Tampa Bay, then they're then they play the Chargers. They got a division matchup with the with the Eagles. So, fast start might not be in the vocabulary for the for the Cowboys. It's all going to come down to how close those games are that might end up saving Mike McCarthy to get through that first quarter of the season
3: yeah absolutely absolutely. Maybe the familiarity with the Eagles helps them out but but how much familiarity do you have with a new coach and a new quarterback there too so that, that'd be the other question
2: All right so let 's move on to the giants um, we 'll talk about them Joe judge, uh, one of the more curious head coaching hires going into two thousand and twenty but um, towards the end, they kind of caught fire there with the giants mm-hmm. early on, it was like, okay, well, this is a good move, and you know this is another Belichick disciple that we decided to. You know, see, I mean, has there been a branch of the Belichick coaching tree that hasn't just snapped off? I That's mean, the
3: thing. Yeah, it, it's, it's been surprisingly weak.
2: Yeah. Hasn't anybody learned their lesson yet? Like, these guys make outstanding assistants. That's what contributes to the greatness of Bill Belichick. It just doesn't translate when you walk away from the master.
3: Right. Yeah. It, it, and it just goes to show you how much of the sort of catalyst for what the New England Patriots has done – really is Bill Belichick versus the team of coaches. Yeah. I think it really goes to show you where the nucleus of all the success for that what, what was a dynasty and what you know they're trying to salvage now, but what was a dynasty very clearly with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and even a little bit before. And so I think that if you look at all of that and then you see the six su- or lack of success rather from some of those you know, New England coaching tree guys, those mm-hmm. Belichick coaching tree guys, just goes to show you how much of it was really centered around Belichick.
2: Yeah, Charlie Weiss, Romeo Crennel, um, his uh, coordinator um, mm-hmm. McDaniel's. Yeah, Josh you know, McDaniel
3: just wouldn't even take a job.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Matt don't get me started. You know, and and Matt Patricia now the, his failure in Detroit, and now he's right. back on the back on the staff in uh, New England again, and now Joe Judge, who I think was a special teams coach. Uh, when he got hired, and I know that he was kind of being groomed to take this position, but I think a lot of people felt like he was maybe a, a year or two ahead of schedule as far as actually getting a head coaching job. And after starting one and seven, everyone was pretty much hitting that one on the head. But then they kind of finished in a flurry. They got some wins and a really good looking win over the the, the Seahawks later on uh, in the season to finish uh, six and ten. You know, good enough for second place uh, in the division uh last year they did it, and they did it without saquon barkley who went out in the second quarter of the bears game week right. number two so i mean six quarters into the season you're without your best player you're the best player you have on your football team's gone for the year and you got to salvage what's left uh from here and you know daniel jones and company did the best they could to keep their head above water and end up almost being a 500 team
3: Yeah, and I I think that this is a team that really found a lot of success because of their defense as well. Uh, You know, their defensive coordinator, Patrick Graham, did something last year that a lot of teams, you can look at the Minnesota Vikings right now that are trying to replicate it a bit, but they went with that sort of three-man tight front defense. where you have a nose tackle and then two big essentially defensive tackles that are playing your defensive end positions. I mean, they're gonna line up Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence as quote unquote defensive ends, essentially. Right. Uh, going into two thousand and twenty one. But then they have these pass rushers, the linebacker position in particular uh, like Aziz gelari for instance. And so it, it's going to be really interesting to watch. But I thought that they did a good job with it last year. I thought they actually played very well with that and it kept them in games. I mean, their defense kept them in that game that went pretty late with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then the only thing that kept them from, you know, getting that win really was, you know, three or four errant passes from uh, from Daniel Jones. And that's the big question going into 2021 for this team. You know, the players love Joe Judge. They do. They, they are do. loving yeah. working with this guy. And it's shown, too, with the, um, the pull of free agency, bringing in Kenny Galladay, I thought, was a great move for them. It's great for Daniel Jones getting Kyle Rudolph from Minnesota. Yep. Also great for the quarterback there and great for this team. I mean, they've done some really, really nice things, and then drafting Kadarius Tony in the first round. I know there was some concern around him because you know wasn't reporting for mini camps and OTAs and things like that. But I assume that once training camp gets underway, the stuff that matters, he'll show up. Um, and you know, they signed John Ross, which I can go either either which way on. But I, I think that the thing that New York has done really well here, and what the ownership has done very well, is that they they should be very satisfied with what they have in terms of their coaching tree here yeah uh joe judge jason garrett at offensive coordinator did a pretty good job last year brandon i'm sorry patrick graham did a fantastic job last year at dc if this year doesn't work there'd be no reason to blow up that structure unless they maybe want to look for another offensive coordinator but the biggest thing is going to be they've put enough weapons around daniel jones to get a full measure on whether or not daniel jones should be the guy of the future if he's not all these guys that they've added here to sort of give him weapons would carry out would be able to carry over to the quarterback in 2022, which I thought was a really wise move in terms of the team building aspect and approach that the Giants took this offseason.
2: And because the Giants are one of my same place opponents this year, I had uh, Ryan uh, Dunleavy from the New York Post as a beat writer mm-hmm. for the Giants. He was on the show, and that's exactly what he said was uh-huh. that basically we're going all in on Daniel Jones this year. Is he the guy? So we we got him Kenny Galladay, we got him Kyle Rudolph, we drafted Kadarius Toney, uh, and all that kind of stuff. It would have been Devontae Smith had the the Philadelphia Eagles not leapfrogged with the Cowboys to take him at 10, which was the last domino to fall for the Bears mm-hmm. to get Justin Fields because after that, nobody on the board, the Giants weren't interested in anybody on the board, so they were open to make a trade. And nice. and God bless Dave Gettleman for not gutting us like he could have. <laughs> God bless him. But... Um, but you know that's what they've done, and then like you said, if it doesn't work out with Daniel Jones, they have two first-round picks next year, thanks to the Justin Fields trade. They mm-hmm. could package those together to move up and get somebody, or you know, or they have two shots in the first round to get a quarterback, depending on how this season goes, to maybe pick the next guy to, to move on. And you've got you've already got Kadarius Tony, you've got Kenny Galladay, you've got Kyle Rudolph, and right. Evan Ingram, and and things like that. You've got weapons built around for the next guy to uh, succeed with. He can kind of hit the ground running as opposed to having to work this up uh, to, for Daniel Jones.
3: Yeah, it's a really, really good team building strategy by the organization to make sure that they can be competitive. If not in 2021, they'll know for certain where the issue is and they'll know how to address it going
2: into a following season. Yeah, so it's, it's a calculated risk, but uh, one that, uh, that might work out no matter what you know, it'll either work out Mm -hmm. with Daniel Jones or it very well could be there in prime position to give the next quarterback uh, a great foundation to work with. Yep. So, I mean, and because their offense was statistically an absolute mess last year, 31st in 31st overall, uh, 31st in scoring, they only averaged 17 points a game, uh, last year, which in today's NFL is not going to win you many football games at all. And, uh, Mm -hmm. You know that, uh, and and like, and then like I said, they did that all without Saquon Barkley uh, last year. But uh, they go right, out and get yeah. Kadarius Coney. Uh, you know, one and a half games they had uh, they had Barkley on the roster for uh, last season. So, but one of the good things about him getting hurt when he did was that he spent most of last season rehabbing, so he should be a hundred percent by the time he gets to camp. And if anybody's seen the pictures they just released of him or that he put on cool. his Instagram or whatever. He's got off. He's got, he's got legs that could carry an offensive lineman, let alone a running back. So yeah. Yeah. looks like the, the bottom half of Saquon Berg is working just fine uh, right now. <laughs> so, all right. So let's move on to the Eagles and um, man, talk about a team that was a dumpster fire man. last year. They just could not keep their dirty laundry from getting aired out last year. Just with the the, yeah. the whole Doug Peterson Thing and, and, you know, Carson Wentz going back and forth and it just it, it's, it's nothing that happened out in public. It's just they couldn't keep anything from getting released to the public. The whole ugly saga was released in, in a I think I read it on The Athletic or, or whatever about basically this team hasn't been happy since after they won the Super Bowl. And like almost immediately after they won the Super Bowl, that place has been a train wreck. And it was just a matter of time before everything that happened happened.
3: Yeah, real shame, too, because, uh, you know, there were some there was uh, so much hope for Philadelphia Eagles fans coming in throughout all of this. And it, it just didn't work. I mean, it wasn't it, and it. You could see it. You could see it from the very beginning that it just was not going to work. I mean, Carson Wentz never looked happy. You had issues and and, and things like that happening along the offensive line as well. They carried, you know, basically no offensive line by the time that they were into the end of the end of the year with all the injuries they dealt with there as well. And so. It was it was just not a great season for them. They went ahead and invested as much as they could in the 2021 offseason in speed. That was like the big thing that they were really all about was we need speed and we need reliability. And they got speed, but they didn't get availability was the problem because you had Jalen Rager, who they drafted in the first round. He went down with injuries. You added uh, obviously they added Jalen Hurts as well, which ends up we'll see how that actually pans out now that we're into learning more about that they you know bring in davion taylor who didn't really get an opportunity to contribute to them they've eliminated linebackers in their system almost as a whole and they just look for you know they want to get you know uh what eight eight defensive backs out on the field as best as they can it's a really interesting sort of system in terms of what they're trying to develop there and uh, you know it's no 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 surprise that they you know moved on from the defensive coordinator and everything too during the season. But I got to tell you, uh, they're an interesting team, and this division is re- really interesting. The, the addition of Devontae Smith obviously helps them. Tons. Uh Travis Fulgham had a pretty nice year for them coming in. If they can keep Jalen Rager healthy and if Jalen Hurts pans out, these running backs they've gotten, Miles Sanders and Boston Scott, like the pieces are all there. It's just can they all get it to sort of, you know, tune together and work together will be the biggest question mark. And then of course their defense as they continue to try to solve their problems at the cornerback position.
2: Not to mention they they picked like the one guy to be their head coach that I've never heard of. Right. I have no idea who Nick Siriani is and I didn't know he was the offensive coordinator until he heard he got hired to be the head coach of the Eagles. And then he has this like disaster of a press conference where he might have been the most nervous man in America uh, during that press conference. He just couldn't get any words out, the poor bastard. And, you know, but that was there for all the world to see. And trust me, it was everywhere uh, the rest of the day, because that happened early in the morning. I mean, it was all about all they could talk about on the Rich Eisen show and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You just saw it everywhere and is not exactly, you know, Firing a Super Bowl winning head coach just a couple of years removed from that Super Bowl to hire this guy who, for all intents and purposes pissing in his pants in front of TV cameras as being introduced as the next guy.
3: Right. So, yeah, it, it was a curious hire. I think that folks have started to warm up to it a bit more ever since then, but not the greatest introduction for the poor guy who was just, you know, like you mentioned, just mad nervous by the time he got up there. <laughs> For it, so it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. I mean, Jalen Hurts is going to have some really good weapons there. That the, the tight end combination, if they're able to retain Zach Ertz, that's still a storyline that we're watching to see if he's going to get moved. But even if they do move on from him, Dallas Goddard's just a fantastic player, yeah. and I think you know has been they've they've rightfully given the time. Tight end is so tough to transition to out of college. You're learning blocking schemes, you're learning an entirely new way of playing football aside from run and catch. Uh, Like a guy who comes out of uh, South Dakota State University would be taught, and so there's a lot of really interesting stuff there. But they've done some good work on the offensive line to try to maintain that as much as possible. And so they're they're going to be an intriguing team, hard to project, but it's all going to come down to you know the consistency along the offense.
2: And what makes the entire division kind of hard to project is that you're, you're you're and we're all guilty of this is that you're looking through you're looking at everything through the 2020. Lens exactly. when all four of these teams were garbage, even right. even God bless them. The team we're going to talk about now, the Washington football team, uh, aside from their defense, they were an atrocious offensive football team and only got into the div- into the playoffs by default because they were the best team in the worst division in football and. Right. You know, it's hard to predict and, and see some of these teams making overnight improvements to going from the champion of this division won six games last year. Yeah. Okay. Actually,
3: I, I, my bad. They actually went seven and nine last year.
2: Did they go seven and nine? I yeah, thought they, they had, had a tie. They, I thought they no, were the six, nine and one. Eagles. Oh, that's right. The Eagles went a nice 4 11. 4 11 and one. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay. So seven games. They yep. won seven games, still two games below uh, 500. And, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of fathom any one of these teams making that overnight adjustment to go from six or seven wins to 12 or 11 or whatever, what a normal division winner would be able to uh, compile. But Mm -hmm. it's probably going to happen to at least one of these teams, if not more than one, because it's a brand new season and lots of things have changed uh, in this division. But looking through the 2020 lens, it's hard to imagine teams that played as poorly as all four of these teams did last year making a run at anything this year.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it doesn't help either that the winner of their division two years ago was nine and seven and they had eight and eight and then they were all below 500 after that. I think right. four wins was the max there. And so, you know, this has just been a division that's kind of been in shambles for the last couple of years. So you right. sort of predict it to be the same thing again. Mm-hmm. In 2021, the one thing that separates that for me is actually the Washington football team, who yep. again in 2021 will be the Washington football team. It seems that they're going to actually pick their name in 2022. Yep. I don't know why I put it off, but hey, whatever. Sell more of the merchandise, I guess. <laughs> and so, so uh, but the, they're the one team that really I can actually say I have some confidence in even though they're going in with must-see TV Ryan Fitzpatrick right. uh, at their quarterback position. So I think that this is a team that will address quarterback next season. I don't take my eyes off of Tyler Heineke. I think that you know if they needed to swap to him, they absolutely would. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the, the weapons that this team has, uh, Antonio Gibson at running back, Logan Thomas at tight end, and you get these three wide receivers of uh, Terry McLaurin, Kelvin Harmon, who I really like. And then Curtis Samuel, before you even get to De'Ami Brown, who they drafted in the third round out of North Carolina, who's a big time deep threat. This team has a ton of good weapons on the offensive side and a phenomenal pass rush yeah. over on the defensive side. And that's usually the uh, some pretty good ingredients to uh, a winning season.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, they're obviously my favorite uh, in this division because of that defense, because mm-hmm. of everything that Chase Young was drafted to be and was. Uh, last year for them. And because out of the three, four teams that Tampa Bay played in the playoffs last year, their toughest game came against the Washington football team because they pretty yeah. much ran through, I'm sorry to say, through the Saints in the second round mm-hmm. and then really just bullied the Packers in the NFC Championship game before they bullied the Chiefs again in the Super Bowl. The team that gave them the toughest test in that playoff run was this Redsk- was this uh, Redskins team, was this uh, uh, Washington uh, football team You know, and Heineke, I thought was fantastic. That one run that he made for that touchdown. I was, I stood up out of my chair like, man, that was amazing. What (laughs) he just did. Oh man, the effort that he gave on that play. That's a, he injured himself on that play, like messed up his shoulder, uh, in that, in that play and everything. But he did what you needed to do to, to to keep pace and, you know, try to get them back into that, uh, into that football game. And they, Washington showed a lot of grit in that game and came up short against what would be the end of would be end, of, end up being the world champions in that game.
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they, they were very competitive in a lot of games in 2021 or excuse me, 2020 that, you know, most folks might've written them off on because of the fact they were in an East team, but I'm looking forward to them here as they, as they move into the next season. I love the draft pick of Jamin Davis, the linebacker out yeah. of Kentucky. That was kind of their one kind of weakest spot over on the defensive side that they kind of covered up with Landon Collins, throughout by bringing him down into the box and having him play there. They would do it every now and then with uh, with uh, Cameron Curl as well. But if they, but now that they have, you know, Jamin Davis there, you have sort of this guy that can be that off ball coverage linebacker. It, it does them a, a lot of good, especially when you're also going to be lining up. Right across from Chase Young, you've also got Montez Sweat that's going to be there. Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, fantastic interior defensive lineman. You have a backup interior defensive lineman, Tim Settle, that a lot of players wish were on their team. You know, like they're going to put together something. Well, they have put together something special in terms of what their defense looks like. Um, And so the biggest thing is going to be sort of the volatility of Ryan Fitzpatrick. But if they're able to take advantage of the fact that they'll be able to win close to the line of scrimmage, that they don't have to challenge, they don't have to push the ball down, they don't have to do anything super risky in order to put points on the board, then I think they'll be in a really good place here throughout 2021.
2: Yeah, I I really like the Washington football team and I cannot wait for them to pick their name next year so we can stop calling them that. Yeah, or, you know, I'm ready
3: for the Washington Red Tails. Mm. I, I want that one. I want.
2: The red, that one. I, I like that Red one Wolves actually. I like the Red. Oh, wolves. I like that one too. I mm-hmm. hope they keep their color scheme too. That's actually one yeah. of my favorite. Uh, you know, I'm a big like. Um, I'm, well, I'm a uniform snob to begin with, but it's just uh, it. I'm, I'm I'm I've always been in, into art and graphic design and and mm-hmm. things like that. It's like it's one of my favorite color palettes out of all the uniforms yeah. uh, in the league. So I hope that they keep this color palette and just give us give us a new logo uh, next year. So. All right, so we got the Redskins, we got the, the Giants, and uh, oh, that's it. We're done with the NFC East. So, mm-hmm. All right, so we move on to the NFC North. It's a division I might know a thing or two about. So uh, <laughs> let's see if we can uh, dig into this one. And let's just go ahead and start with my beloved uh, Chicago Bears. Yes, please. Oh, my God. What an offseason we had, man. <sighs> I mean, it, and I've said this a hundred times, especially during this series, because uh, I've said it a, a, a bunch the offseason literally turned on a dime on draft night. Mm. Because mm-hmm. w- w- up up to draft night, we had an, a very forgettable offseason which started with one of the biggest disaster end of year press conferences I've ever seen in my life. Okay? And you know, I've seen a lot of teams blunder their way through some press conferences, but man, we took the cake um, <laughs> after we lost that game to the to the Saints. And, you know, the last thing any team wanted to hear was like, yeah, we made the playoffs. We kind of backed our way in. We didn't play our way into the playoffs, kind of backed our way. And we were the seventh team by default because the Cardinals couldn't get out of their own way at the end of the season there. I mean, we lost the last game of the season to the to the Packers in glorious fashion uh, there. We have to play the... uh, we have to play the Saints in the wild card round. The last thing anybody wanted to hear after that, after such an embarrassing loss to to, to Cincinnati to, to New Orleans. Sorry, in the uh, in the in the wild card round was that we're bringing everybody back. So what's the first thing that they say? We're bringing everybody back. You know, <laughs> Ted Phillips, Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy. We're all coming back. We're we're doing this again. And listed the six game losing streak in the middle of the season as a virtue, as to why. They're bringing everybody because we survived a six game losing streak and still made the playoffs it's like that's because we played the three worst defenses in football after that three game after that six game losing streak and managed to rack up some points before we ran into some real football teams again in New Orleans and Green Bay to finish out the year. So why are we hanging on to these people? We had no salary cap space um, to, to go out and get somebody to plug in some real holes uh, on the team. So we're kind of, you know, picking our spots here and there. And then the most embarrassing part was the quarterback saga of the offseason where the Bears were literally attached to any quarterback that was even semi-available this yep. offseason. Carson Wentz, Derek Carr, uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, uh, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, God help me. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson. And, and then James we, Winston. Jameis Winston, <laughs> you name it. Name and there, I mean, for me, where we jumped the shark was the rumors that we might be interested in Ben Roethlisberger. Okay, (laughs) it's like, please tell me this was a joke. I'm 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 reading the Onion right now. Right, there's no way (laughs) this is real. And you know, after we reach a boiling point with the talks with Russell Wilson, our consolation prize is Andy Dalton. Now, on its merits, not a bad signing and an absolute improvement over our current quarterback situation. But after you've been flirting. With one of the best quarterbacks of this era, and bringing him in, to, to, and then you sign Andy Dalton, and then make that embarrassing QB one uh, tweet where you photoshop him into a bear uniform. Man, that was rough. Oh God, that was so bad, so so bad. It's like I I liked Andy Dalton when we were talking last year about bringing in competition for Trubisky. Dalton was at the top of my wish list. I mm-hmm. thought he would have been perfect for that spot, especially since we had brought in. Um, we had brought in uh, Bill Laser, his offensive oh, yeah. coordinator, from mm-hmm. Cincinnati. He's ROC now, so they'll be able to speak the same language and so on and so forth, or at least the, the learning curve won't be as steep uh, for him. They bring him in. Okay, he, 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 he either, he'll either back up Trubisky or he'll be the improvement. Either way, we're better at quarterback in 2020. Instead, we go with Nick Foles, and that could not have gone more wrong than it did. And, you know, it, it just uh, – but then we get to draft night – And we make the trade for Justin Fields. And then on day two, the brilliance of the Justin Fields trade was that we still had second and third round picks. Pace did not get, and that's why I say God bless Dave Gettleman, he did not gut us for any of those day two picks. He took a five, uh, a one and a five this year, a one and a four next year, and that was it. That was all the bleeding it was going to take to get Justin Fields. So we still had second and third round picks, and we used both of those picks to make the trade or Tevin Jenkins, who was the guy I wanted all along. Mm-hmm. If we had stayed at 20, Tevin Jenkins was my guy. We got him and Justin Fields. And the we still might not be a good football team in 2021, but at least Bear fans are interested in watching this season take place now. Because going into yeah. it, going into draft night, we were just kind of playing out the string. We were just watching because that's what you do. Because we, we, there was no excitement whatsoever surrounding this team.
3: Yeah. I thought that it was a masterful uh, draft night for for Chicago. I mean, you look at the price that San Francisco paid to get their quarterback. and obviously they had to trade into the top three to do that, and I understand that you know it's a bigger price tag. But there's a reality to where Dave Gettleman says three first. You know what I mean? Or like you mentioned, getting, stealing away some of those day two selections. So I think in terms of what they were able to do to trade up, to get Justin Fields, then trade up to get Tevin Jenkins immediately taking care of their quarterback, I thought was great. I know that the, the move to left tackle is expected for Tevin Jenkins. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So I think that'll be, you know, a little bit of a learning curve for him, but he's extraordinarily talented. He'll be fine. Uh, I think some people overplay that transition for him. I think he'll be okay. Um, and I, I love already what this offense has. I mean, I know Allen Robinson didn't get signed to a long term extension. I understand why. Yeah. As well. I mean, you know, it's it's not a bad paycheck to play on, first of all. And then secondly, you need to see, I mean, is this rookie going to pan out? Is he even going to hit the field? Am I going to get my opportunity to work with him? All these other things. And so I understand Alan Robinson saying now I'm going to test the waters and then see what this is like. And hopefully it's a good fit for him. But as they look to move into 2022, Um, Darnell Mooney is just outstanding Love that kid man uh, Love him. I ah, man he was a huge uh draft crush of mine I mean obviously he played at Tulane so right. I've gotten to see him you know I've gotten to see him and so I, I was really into the idea of what he would turn out to be in the NFL and he turned out great um David Montgomery had a couple of really nice games last year, particularly against Minnesota, very nice against Minnesota. Um, And then I I think that they've done a good job with the defense. And I think this defense continues to be really good. The addition of Desmond Trufant opposite Jalen Johnson was still very smart to me. Um, And they've continued to develop their pass rush game as Mm -hmm. well and everything that they've done. Mm -hmm. I I really like what Chicago has done. I I don't know that they're going to be, you know, a uh, a, a number one divisional team. I don't think they're gonna. I don't know if they're gonna win their division their first year. You'd be asking a lot. I think of a successful Justin Fields in that case. I don't think Andy Dalton's gonna bring you there. Right. But it, it's. I'm not gonna say that it's impossible, and I'm not gonna say that there's no reason to have hope for this team moving forward. I mean, they're in a really, really good place. They're in a better position than a lot of teams that are trying to project two, three years down the road.
2: Yeah. I mean, and like we talked about, very limited cap, salary cap space. So there was nobody that we can make a splash right. with as far as bringing somebody in. New, but um, Ryan Pace made some low key, pretty interesting moves. Like he brought in Damian Williams, who opted out last year, who was a big factor in Kansas City winning the Super Bowl against the 49ers a couple years back. Uh, Mm -hmm. We bring in uh, Marquise Goodwin, who also opted out uh, last year, but their speed, they're stretching the field uh, for you. Uh, Demir Bird, who was a, a, a speed, I mean, we added a lot of speed to the offense. If these guys all make the roster uh, and everything, you know, we'll be getting, letting go of guys like Javon Wims and and most likely um, Anthony Miller. You hate to see those guys go, but those are drafted guys that haven't lived up to their draft stock. And we're bringing in some guys that are really going to help us stretch the field uh, and, and things like that, which is really going to be helpful with this big armed rookie quarterback that we just drafted. So, you know, and I've already taught, heard about, and all due respect to, to Trisky you got to give the kid credit. He tried. He really, really did. He worked hard. He tried to be the leader uh, and everything. It just didn't work out for him uh, here in Chicago. But I've never heard anybody gush over Mitchell Trubisky the way that you hear um, uh, um, uh, Darnell Mooney talk about oh, yeah. the the passes that he's catching from Justin Fields just knowing that when the ball comes out of his hands it's going to be exactly where he needs it to be when he gets when he catches up to the ball uh kind of thing Not like, I'm going to have to run another 20 miles an hour faster to catch up to the ball because somehow Mitch Trubisky has overthrown me by 30 yards. I don't know how he's done that, but he has. No one ever questioned Mitch Trubisky's arm strength. It's his accuracy where, you know, sometimes he would throw the football. It would be like trying to watch somebody piss into the wind for the ball, wherever the ball would end up. (laughs) It was crazy trying to watch him throw the ball sometimes. but. You know, I look forward to seeing how this team gels and what 2021 holds. Whereas that was my opposite thinking going into the draft, where it's just like, oh, well, we draft, uh, you know, we draft Chevin Jenkins. We 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 do what we can with our picks to kind of build the team up, and then. See where we are in 2022 with our new GM and our new head coach, and you know things like that, and we'll move forward from there, you know. Because 2021, it's they're gonna, they're not gonna be a bad football team, but they're not gonna be good either. Maybe eight and nine, seven and ten, or which is weird to say seven and ten, I know, right? But <laughs> you know, maybe somewhere in that area, and it's a, and that still might be the fate of the Bears this year, but it's just going to be a little bit more exciting. And, you know, there's a, there's more of an eye to the future because we made the move for the quarterback and we didn't have to mortgage our future in order to do it. So in that aspect, Ryan Pace stuck to his word where he said, you know, so, uh, like one of the, the beat writers asked him in that disaster of a press conference, you know, you're basically in a desperate situation. How Do you think that you can make, you know, level-headed decisions regarding the future of the team, despite your desperation to win now. And he said, well, I always, I mean, he gave the, the corporate answer, which would be like, I always think about the future of the team and, you know, and all that kind of stuff when everyone was mm-hmm. like, yeah, right. Okay. If yeah. you can <laughs> give up six first round picks to get just to get uh, Russell Wilson, you'll do it tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? So right. you, you'll mortgage the future to save your ass and, and so that you can get to 2022. And, but instead the trade that he made with Gettleman to get, Justin Fields, and more specifically, the trade to get Tevin Jenkins, the the yeah. trade compensation was all twenty twenty one, so it didn't cost us any other future assets, which he had a really right. bad habit of doing, which trading next year's assets to get this year's pick. Like it it got us Travis Gibson, who was going to be a player for us, or at least they think so, uh, in the fifth round. But we gave up this year's fourth round pick to get a fifth round pick last year to take Gibson. And he didn't do that this year. Aside from the picks he gave up for Fields, the, tr- the trade for Jenkins was the second and third round pick. That's it. We're swapping seconds. We're giving you a third. And we get Tevin Jenkins. But all the damage stays in 2021. We didn't mortgage our future to get what could be the two cornerstones of our franchise for the next 10 years.
3: Yeah, I, I thought it was an excellent, excellent move. And I, I like the-, the wherewithal to say, okay, we have this rookie quarterback now. Let's make sure that we get the offensive lineman that we think is going to be a good pair with them. Keep them protected. And they moved on from an offensive lineman as well after they drafted Tevin Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I just, I liked very much what they did. I thought, you know, there's a version of this not to, not to turn around and like dunk on the Bengals again, but <laughs> you know, there's a version of this that you look at and go, Tevin Jenkins could have been. The you know even the second round selection yeah, he could for have yeah Cincinnati Bengals and they passed on him and you know so it was just a lot of I, I like the fact that the Bears were not uh, willing to sit back and allow people just to make mistakes for them without taking yeah. advantage of it
2: yeah I mean well they they played it as patiently as they could have in the first round letting Fields fall all the way uh, to eleven and on the AFC show you were talking about how uh, Patton the GM for the Broncos was asking for the world. Uh, for his picks uh, and everything, or for number nine, um, there was a video that they put out, and I think it was the Broncos that put it out before they picked Patrick Sertan second. George Patton is on the phone, and he's like, look, Ryan, it's going to be a one, a two, a three, and a one next year to move up. And that's, I mean, the only other Ryan GM that I know right. of is my guy, Ryan Pace. And that's the deal that Ryan Pace had to turn down in order to miss out on the team that was probably best suited to take Justin Fields in that top 10. And they ended up taking Pat Sertan and making that mistake for us so yeah. that we could only pay for, you know, a one, a five and a one and a four to, to take him, uh, two picks later.
3: All of that for Denver to walk in with no, no additional future assets yeah. and Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. Great
2: job. <laughs> all of Great that. Job, <laughs> so, all right. So let's move on from the Bears or else we'll turn this into another extravaganza. Lauren, and, Lauren Cox and I <laughs> just did two hours on the Bears last week. So <laughs> I think, uh, you know, <laughs> we've said all there needs to be said about the, the Bears. So we'll move on to the Lions, who, <sighs> oh. Oh, you know, I, I, I really love Bears and Lions games, they're a lot of fun. Uh, As far as division rivalries are concerned, obviously Green Bay is our most hated rival, but I think Detroit is our best rival as far as there's actually a chance we'll win this game and there's also a chance that we can lose it. It's a 50-50 thing with the Mm -hmm. Lions. And so I enjoy watching those games because those games, for the most part, are competitive. Back and f- It's a true rivalry between the Bears and yeah. the Lions, whereas the Green Bay's been handing us our ass since 1992 when Favre took over. Very few wins, and I think we've only beaten Rodgers like six times in his career as the starting quarterback for the for the Packers, and he's been the starting quarterback since 2008. So it's been a very long run uh, of taking beatings from from the from the Packers and such. So playing the Lions, playing the Vikings, where we actually have a fifty fifty shot, um, have been intriguing, but it's also been kind of annoying watching the Lions lying all over everything uh, with the moves that they've made firing Jim Caldwell so they could hire Matt Patricia, and then watching that burn to the ground because Patricia kept running guys out of town because he wanted it to be New England West as opposed right. to just trying to be the Detroit Lions uh, and everything. Uh, it's just he, he was a disaster of a head coach. They fire him midway through season number three, so he didn't even get to finish a three-year uh, run as the head coach. And then they bring in Dan Campbell who you know very well because he was your assistant head coach in New Orleans before coming over here. Mm-hmm. Did you know he was a crazy man? Um, it, it's interesting because
3: he <laughs> that wasn't who he was in New Orleans, at least not openly. Okay. And again, like we didn't get media availability much with him. We did, you know, he was a tight ends coach as well. So we got media availability with him before the season usually. And, you know, got to ask him some questions about, oh, well, what's the tight end room looking like and things like that. But, you know, even when he was in, uh, even when he was in Miami, and he was uh, interim head coach there, maybe because he didn't have the full job yet. He didn't go full kneecap on anybody. But that, that was kind of wild, like the moment that he showed up. I, I mean, I think you you see his press conferences now rival the Adam Gase bug-eye press conference. Uh, because, you know, the motorcycle helmet thing was very questionable. Um, all of it's very questionable. But, I, I mean, look, I, I think that what, what Detroit really did and what they really focused on was culture, yes, uh, for for this team. That was their their focus here. I mean, bringing in Dan Campbell, adding uh, Anthony Lynn as their offensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn going over from New Orleans as well. He was their secondary coach. Uh, now he's the defensive coordinator in Detroit. They really focused on on culture, and then they you know made the trade and grabbed Jared Goff and everything, which was just all of it very questionable throughout the, t- the the course of the offseason. So I, I think that l- Detroit is a team that I don't have much expectation for at all in 2021. Um, it doesn't it doesn't specifically stem from the Dan Campbell hire, mm-hmm. but it certainly stems from the sort of, uh, if you add up all of the offseason moves. I, I thought, you know, Penny Sewell dropping into a lap was outstanding yes. for them. And there's absolutely yeah. no doubt about that. And I think that they have some, They have a weapon on offense in – well, I guess two, uh, TJ TJ Hawkinson as well as DeAndre Swift. But the wide receiver room is kind of busted at the moment. Yeah, at
2: this point. Yeah, Yeah, there's just
3: nothing really going on there. They did add Amon Ross St. Brown in the fourth round, but I don't know how effective he's going to be. They make the trade for Michael Brockers, which hysterical situation there with Michael Brockers talking openly about how the Rams trading for – Matt Stafford was a clear upgrade over Jared Goff and (laughs) almost immediately got traded to the team that Jared Goff is now the quarterback of just outstanding comedy. Um, So I I think that there's, you know, intrigue here. But again, this is not a team that I think is going to challenge for its division anytime soon. And unlike the Chicago Bears, there's not a lot that I can point to here and say, oh, two, three years down the line, this is going to be a team.
2: Yeah, I think it's more about like the Jared Goff trade. It's more about the assets in getting those two first round picks along right. with Goff that maybe they could package that up to 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 draft Goff's predecessor, or you know maybe draft the top receiver in next year's draft or something like that to give him a weapon uh, right. to play with uh, and such. But um, you know, the guy that I have on for the for the Lions is for SB Nation, Pride of Detroit. Uh, Jeremy Reisman, he's a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very worried that the national perception, that I had the same as the national perception, which is that Dan Cable is a crazy man and that, uh, you know, he's just, you know, nuts and uh, uh, and everything like that. And I was and it was more like what you just said. Mm-hmm. I look at this guy, I see him bringing in, trying to change the culture uh, right. of the team, that he's going to come in there. as like maybe we won't win a lot of football games. But you're going to have fun. Playing for the Detroit Lions, and we might win some games uh, in the process. I'm not going to be the guy that makes you hate football so much that you even think about quit or right. demand a trade like Darius Slay did and uh, DeAndre Diggs, and, or um, Quandre Diggs, I think. Quandre Diggs, yeah. Yeah. Goes to Seattle and, and stuff like that. And you're selling them off for nothing to get rid of them. Like that's how unhappy they are. And that's how willing you are to get rid of them, is that you just take whatever another team uh, offers you. Uh, and everything we're going to have some fun here. Yeah, I'm going to say some wild shit in these press conferences, but, you know, we're still going to be serious. We're still going to win football games and never mind that my nameplate says the dude outside my office. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and we're going to win some football games. We're going to have fun. We're going to be tough. And that's what I was trying to say as opposed to everyone kind of harping on the chewing on kneecaps and stuff like that (laughs) uh, thing. Like, I think the message he was trying to deliver was lost in the comedy of what he was actually saying.
3: Yes. Yeah. And that that is something that, you know, Dan Campbell will pick up and bring from New Orleans. I mean, the one thing that makes the one of the things that makes Dan Campbell so comfortable in that environment is the fact that, like, that's how Sean Payton is. And he works so closely with Sean Payton as the assistant head coach that Sean Payton will crack jokes during conferences, but he knows when to turn that off. He knows when to turn that on. Offseason's a perfect time to have that on and just, you know, have fun and do whatever and all that. But, you know, he'll show up when it's time to show up. And I think that that's the big thing. I mean, he brings with him knowledge of Sean Payton's system, first of all, which I think is something that if he remains the head coach once they get all the pieces, he'll be able to put on full display. And he's somebody that is going to lead with culture uh, in that in that locker room and for those players so that, like you said, those players don't hate coming to work every day. Like no one's going to want that. And so I think that and and, uh, Anthony Lynn and Aaron Glenn bring that along from their own experience as well. Aaron Glenn, also a part of what is finally taking shape as a Sean Payton coaching tree. It took until this season for it to finally start to happen. (laughs) They kept that coaching uh, uh, staff together for so long in New Orleans. It's kind of wild. And so, you know, I think that all that will be of credit and of benefit to uh, to Dan Campbell. I just hope that he's able to have the good fortune of being able to be around when all the pieces arrive to be able to capitalize on because of the culture that he helps to build, which will become, you know, a destination for players.
2: Yeah, because like we talked about a moment ago, the uh, the cupboard is bare as far as playmakers on the offensive Side his top two receivers, Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perriman are castoffs uh, from other football teams. Failed first round pick in Perriman and uh, Tyrell Williams was kind of a bust as an offense, or excuse me, a free agent signing uh, for the Raiders. Uh, you know, Jared Goff is a castoff from the from the Rams. I mean, they might. I mean, I know he has connection to, to their to their general manager Barry and everything. They were in in Los Angeles together, but. They're not looking for a future with Jared Goff. If, if it works out with Goff, great. If they don't, we got two first-round picks to remedy that situation uh, as well. Uh, you know, DeAndre Swift uh, should be a good running back. It's something that you haven't seen in Detroit for how long ago did Barry Sanders retire? 22, 23 years 22, ago Yeah, now? It's like after the 98 season, so we're looking at 23 seasons since they had a competent, solid running game. Because one of the saddest statistics I ever saw was when they were talking about um, Stafford, who they traded away to uh, the Rams, that in his 11 or 12 years as their starting quarterback, they had 11 or 12 100 yard rushing games. Like yeah. he was averaging, I think it like the math worked out to like 0. 0.8 rush, 100 yard rushing games per season Ugh. during his time in Detroit, you know. And it's like he's been a part of some pretty good football teams and some pretty awesome offenses. None of them included a running game, not one. So, I mean, in 2011 and 2014 specifically, those were some outstanding, like, world-beating offenses, and they couldn't get past the first round because they had no running game to try to protect the lead with, and, you know, they had also had no defense because they had to score 50 points a game because their defense was giving up 45 uh, kind of thing. And, you know, we'll talk about the Rams when we get to them here at the end with the NFC West, but this is just... Like, full stop, this is the best team Matt Stafford's ever been a part of, and he hasn't played a snap with the Rams yet. So, yeah. you know, it's definitely a change of fortune from one team, uh, from one player to the next. And, you know, the, the one good thing, the one redeemable factor of this Lions roster is something that my buddy at Pride of Detroit likes to do every single year is the names on this on this team are unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. One of their wide receivers, Quintes Cephas. Now tell me, that, so that is not a Key and peel all-star name if you've ever heard it. And yeah,
3: it's, also a, it's also a Beavis and Butthead character.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. You Simply. Nice pull, man. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice. And last year, he taught me, my buddy Jeremy taught me how to say the name of who's listed as their current starting right guard. It's uh, Hulaputavati Vaitai. Mm-hmm. And, you, yep. and he, he's like, you know how I learned how to pronounce his name? you say his name to the tune of play that funky music white boy halopulavati <laughs> Vitae. that's how he taught me how to say it. that's why i remember it otherwise reading all this nonsense with these with the 38 letter in this kid's name i wouldn't have been able to pull that out if jeremy hadn't taught me that last year halopulavati Vitae. that's his name that's his name so yeah you that got that standard. and you know penesul that's a pretty decent name and quintes yeah. Cephas, that's just Mm. Amon yeah, Ra St. Brown, come on. Yeah, you Amon know, Ra, he holds. Yeah, You've on. Got the, some really
3: good ones on defense, too, with oh, yeah. Yep. He
2: Alex Anzaloni.
3: Uh huh. He just came over from New Orleans. There as you well. go. He joined, uh, yeah. Uh, Levi and who's another one of those uh, interior <laughs> defensive linemen that I really like. You nailed like that name,
2: stuff. dude. God bless you. I know it's because you follow the draft and everything, but that was <laughs> one that I struggled with, even when he was saying it for me. I was like, Ooh, <laughs> like I was just getting tongue-tied trying to figure that one out. So, yeah. But Afiti yeah. e. Melafonwu uh, in the third round. I mean, it's just they hold a like a competition on the website every yeah. year. They have like a tournament about who who wins, like who's got the best name on the roster. The they do it every year. It's hilarious. So, but <laughs> that's the Detroit Lions. Their redeeming factor. They keep it. They keep it interesting with the names on the team. Yeah. So. Let's just go ahead and get him out of the way. Talk about the Green Bay Packers because um, we're going in alphabetical order here. Uh, there's two ways this season's going to go, and it's, it all determines on will he or won't he? Will Rodgers, you know, relent and come in and play this year? Or will he hold out, which is what everything is pointing to right now? And we're just going, going on the fact that Rodgers has not he- hid his contempt for the organization You know, he's not out there just overly bashing the team or anything like that, but everything that he said publicly, nothing points to him playing for the Packers in 2021. And I have mixed emotions about this. I'll be completely honest with you. Obviously, as a Bears fan, I would love it if Aaron Rodgers did not play football for the Green Bay Packers this year. But also, it would be kind of bittersweet if he didn't. Because let's say, God forbid, everything works out for the Bears and we win the division there's kinda of gonna be this little bitty stain sure. on the year that we did it the year that Aaron Rodgers wasn't there. Right. You know, it, it would it would be an easy out for us if he gets traded and he's somewhere else, as opposed to him just not playing this year because of his own because of a disdain that he has for his own organization. Yeah.
3: My hope for you would be that the Bears win the division by more than two games. Yeah. Yeah. That way, at least you can say, well, look, even if they lost the two Green Bay games, they still would have been in position to at least challenge for the division along with Green Bay. Right. That's my hope for you. But you're <laughs> absolutely right. I mean, like there's always going to be something like that. I mean, that exists in the NFC South, too. Yeah. You know, if Tom Brady, something, God forbid, were to happen and he ended up being injured in 2021 and the Saints end up winning the division for the fifth year in a row, it would be tainted. Right. Yeah. Like, people wouldn't appreciate it the same way. And, all. and so, and unfortunately, that's just kind of the way that it goes too. I mean, like people will look for whatever excuse to not celebrate a rival team or or celebrate another team's uh, victories. But the the fact of the matter is that when it comes down to Green Bay, um, man, like this system finally worked for them last year with Matt Lafleur and, and Aaron Rodgers, and it all kind of came together. And even games where they didn't have Devontae Adams and, you know, there was this offseason where everybody said, oh, well, they didn't put any weapons around Aaron Rodgers. They keep neglecting to put weapons around Aaron Rodgers. And it didn't matter. The guy went out and had an incredible season, an MVP season, of course, made all the way to the NFC Championship game and really just kind of got busted by... You know, I mean, he really by his own, got in his own way. I mean, he threw how many, three interceptions in that game, yeah. four interceptions in that game? Yeah. I mean, so.
2: For a guy yeah, that a had bit, thrown like five all season, he threw three in the NFC Championship yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. In a game
3: where Tom Brady also threw three, too. He so, did. like, the door
2: was open. You yeah. know
3: what I mean? And and it just couldn't get out of their own way. And I think you look at, you know, the team with, with Aaron Jones and, and Devontae Parker and then adding – uh Amari Rodgers who I think is going to be phenomenal in the NFL. I uh, I just I it, it, I would hate to s- kind of see it all go to waste if Aaron Rodgers isn't that starting quarterback. And the funny thing is that if you listen to Matt LaFleur, it's like no one trusts Jordan Love inside the organization either. <laughs> and so, you know, the whole time that Aaron Rodgers is out here having this honest conversation around the game is the game, but there are people that play this game. And his big issue with the you know, uh, Packers organization is not treating people like people. I mean, he's not looking at you talk down to Jordan Love and say, oh, well, they must really like me. He's looking at that. He's able to point to that and say, see, I told you. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that the Packers organization doesn't see that is so intriguing to me. But, yeah, I mean, this this is a team that could go out there and be. You know, it, it's it's they're in the opposite situation of a team that would land Aaron Rodgers. Can they keep Aaron Rodgers? If so, they could be one, the best team in the NFC mm-hmm. if they can't. then they're one of the you know, they're at the bottom of their division, potentially, just like we saw when, you know, Deshaun Kaiser was their starting quarterback years ago. And so it, it's a tough one to try to project and try to figure out because it all hinges around this Aaron Rodgers situation. The one thing I can tell you is that he's not going to be at training camp. Right. I highly doubt he's showing up to training camp. And we've seen that before. He doesn't like doing – I mean he was the one that – Peter Bukowski tells a great story about him uh, showing up to the last day of the CBA negotiations, took his private jet, flew to the CBA negotiations, went in, stood in the final day of the – or to the negotiations and made his pitch for – not having offseason workouts at all <laughs> and then left and got back on his private jet and went back where he was like he's very invested in not doing offseason work so even if he doesn't show up I don't know that's it's really an indicator of anything the real question is going to be is he the quarterback week one
2: yeah because he's he's going to try to stray hand his way through the uh, through training camp <laughs>
3: right. where he's just
2: going to show up like five days before week one and then uh, you know be ready to go uh, for the uh, for the season. I always thought that was a really awesome flex that he pulled on yeah. that year. He was like, "Yeah, I'm just not going to show up to training camp. I plan on playing <laughs> this year. I'm just not going to go to train. I don't want to do it. I'm a, you know, 13-year veteran. I'm 30 something years old. I don't want to do it anymore." Right. So, I don't we need saw a preseason that
3: back in 2011 for Green Bay, too, if I remember correctly, the strike season. Yeah. and everything and the off-season that was already cut short and you and know, Green Bay didn't do anything over the course of the offseason and then showed up and won their first game week one against the New Orleans Saints who, like, you know, spent almost every second of the offseason together despite the fact that they were, quote-unquote, on strike. You know, yeah. during that time, like, they still spent time with one another. And um, and Green Bay won that game.
2: Well, Green Bay <laughs> went 15-1 and one in 2011. Right. You know, right. and then they choked in the divisional round against the Giants who went on to win the Super Bowl uh, that year, which I thought was – that was – that was so awesome! <laughs> like, oh man, like that's a like, long-standing tradition of
3: Green Bay, and you uh, know, I, I, they really I know, do. Yeah, yeah, I know bad luck in the playoffs. Trust me, and uh, mm. Green Bay has had it. Green Bay has had it for quite a while.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, the, the the big thing was them actually hosting the NFC Championship game last year, and they they had the team that was playing their third consecutive road game come in and hand it to them. You know, show them the door in their own house uh in the nfc championship game is like well so much for that because you thought the problem was the last three nfc championship games were played on the road and you got killed in basically all three of those games here you are at home you got killed again so what are you gonna do but um yeah yeah and you definitely are familiar with bad luck in the playoffs. oh yeah Right. Uh, I know sure. when I see it. Yeah. It's so like one of the first shows I had you on was like, let's talk about that NFC championship game. Can we?
3: It's like must race. It's like smoke coming
2: out of your ears. Like, oh, I could even, you know, I could just, I could even hear it come out of your ears. It was kind of crazy. <laughs> like a tea kettle. Yeah. But I mean, this is, it's, they're not a bad football team, you know, or like bottom of the barrel without Aaron Rodgers. It's just, that it's not going to be as easy as it was. with Rodgers they're they're not they're going to miss the best player in football from 2020 uh for sure and they're certainly going to struggle with a guy who hasn't taken a snap in the NFL before because it's Jordan Love's job if it doesn't belong uh to Aaron Rodgers they still have the weapons that they have but will Jordan Love even be close to as transcendent as Aaron Rodgers is where despite the fact that you haven't drafted him any weapons and gotten him anything of note in a very long time, he's still making stars out of Valdez Scantling. And, you know, like these fourth and right. fifth round guys all of a sudden become the bane of my existence as a bear fan because they're killing us two games a season and, uh, and whatnot. It just will he have that same, like that, that tight end that they had, uh, last year. Oh, Robert Tanyan? Tanyan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's not a rookie. But this was the first time that he came on the radar, but he caught like 10 touchdown passes uh, because Aaron Rodgers was throwing in the ball and putting it where nobody else could put it kind of thing uh, last year, making plays where nobody else could and, and so on and so forth. You know, it, it's, it's a lot to ask uh, of Jordan Love, and it would be a lot to ask of the team in general to be as good as they were without Aaron Rodgers. So, and, and I was, and I was making note when I was talking to my NFC North guys that uh Rodgers not playing alone could be enough to boost the entire division around it. Like they could just see the, see the blood in the water. Like, Ooh, right. Rogers is gone. It's anybody's division. Now anybody's yep. division, you know, it levels the playing field. And that's where, that's the aspect of me not wanting Rodgers to play. But as I mentioned before, it would be a bittersweet thing to win the division. The one year that he doesn't play. So, so we'll wrap up the NFC North with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I have somewhat of a sentimental attachment towards, the Vikings, because when my favorite player of all time, Walter Payton, uh, retired after the 87 season, my favorite player for many, many years afterwards was Houston Oilers quarterback Warren Moon, who was traded to the Vikings when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. So uh, I got to watch Warren Moon. This was before the days of direct TV and the Sunday ticket and sports bars and all that kind of stuff. I finally got to see Warren, Warren Moon play more than once a year in the playoffs. I got to see him play at least twice a year against my beloved Chicago bears. So, cool. um, you know, he was my favorite player, uh, to this day. No one in the history of the game has thrown a prettier ball than Warren moon. <laughs> you go back and watch those NFL films. It's magic coming out of his hands. When he throws the ball, the tightest spiral the world has ever seen. The only place that ever, the only player ever came close is Mike Vick, who for one of the most ugliest releases I've ever seen on a quarterback, Mike Rick, Mike Vick could throw one of the prettiest balls I've ever seen. Um, but you know, So I kind of have some kind of a softer feeling towards the Vikings than I do to the other uh, of my division brethren uh, here. But uh, they're still division rivals, and I still uh, quite enjoy it when they do not succeed. Um, yeah. And Minnesota is in, an, is in an odd position this year because Mike Zimmer, for all of his brilliance and everything that he has done and can do, um, has not been able to sustain success uh, in Minnesota. He's very much... Been all over the place. I think he's in year five or year six uh, right now as, as head coach of the, of the team. And 2016, eight wins. 2017, 13 wins. They make it to the NFC Championship game. 2018, eight wins. 2019, 10 wins make the playoffs and somehow upset your Saints in the wild card mm-hmm. round on that Kyle Rudolph touchdown. And then last year, seven wins. So it's literally up and down every single year. And you got to wonder when that's going to uh, come to a head and cost him his job.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there's the the volatility of that team and the the lack of predictability there when it comes to Mike Zimmer. And we know what I mean. Everyone knows what Mike Zimmer and Adam Zimmer, for that matter, like to do over on the defensive side. And so I think there are times where they end up getting exposed there, and the you know, the the spot drop cover three thing doesn't work and all the other things that they try to do. And so I think that, you know, they've done a good job building up the offense. Obviously I love this selection of Christian Dariusaw to give some boost to their offensive line in the first round this season, but you know, you've got a really fantastic wide receiver tandem and Justin Jefferson, who, you know, was just as deserving of offensive rookie of the year yeah. last year as uh, Justin Herbert. I would have been perfectly fine with either one of them winning Adam Thielen obviously is fantastic. And then you've got, you know, Dalvin Cook, who's one of the best running backs in the NFL. Now, can Kirk Cousins, you know, uh, be a little bit more predictable in terms of what he does? Is Kellen Mond breathing down his neck going to be a thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or how is all that going to work out? But I do think that they have enough of what they need to be effective. They did so. They have added some really nice pieces over on the secondary, which was a place where they really. Kind of lost almost their entire secondary before the end of the season, or before the beginning of the season last year. They had lost almost their entire defensive roster by the end of the season when Alvin Kamara ran on six touchdowns on him on yeah, Christmas Day.
2: That was always, that
3: was a rough game to watch. That was man. rough, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, even in that game, Minnesota had you know a starter out there on defense. Like it was, it was rough for them. And so I, I do think that you know they can sort of look at getting players back from injury sort of as a boost in free agency in a way. And then they added Patrick Peterson and they, you know, a lot of question marks around Jeff Gladney, whether or not he's going to be available. I doubt he will be at the beginning of the season. So you look for Brashad Perryman who they signed to step into that opposite um, that, that cornerback spot opposite Pat Pete. And so uh, I think that they're interesting and maybe the favorites to win the division perhaps because every other team has such large question marks that they have to figure out. But you know how much do they really separate themselves? Will be the question, and I don't know how much they can.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting because right now, as as I mentioned during the AFC show, as we head into this, like when we do predictions at the end of the show, I'm conducting myself as though things stand as the way they are, and Aaron Rodgers doesn't play this year. Mm-hmm. That's how I'm going. I'm 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 taking the risk of saying. Not that I'm trying to wish it into existence or anything, but that's the way things look right now. And even as unrealistic as that might be for Rodgers to actually hold out this year or sit out or whatever, um, that's how I'm. That's how I played my predictions when we did them. And strangely enough, I just couldn't pick anybody but Minnesota to win that division. Right. Otherwise, so that's they're the favorite. If Green Bay, uh, you know, if Green Bay loses Aaron Rodgers, you know, and this is coming from a Bears fan. I just, I think they're a little bit more stable than we are. We as Bear fans are going to be spending more of the season wondering when Justin Fields is going to play, you know, regardless of how Andy Dalton does. you know, We're going to be hearing weekly, daily updates about how Justin Fields is doing in practice and, and all that kind of stuff, and eventually it's going to reach its breaking point uh, at some point. The first one that Andy Dalton throws into the dirt will be the first time we start calling for Justin Fields uh, to get out there. If he misses a wide-open target, God help him. You know, got to help him because we've got the future sitting on the bench right now. And there are a lot of Bear fans who don't want him out there. So, but it's the Vikings. They have the most stable without Aaron Rodgers. They have the most stable quarterback position in this division, you know, because Jared Goff is coming in brand new. We have our situation here in Chicago. And then you'll have basically a rookie starting and in Jordan Love if, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't play. The Vikings all of a sudden have the best quarterback in the division by a lot. Actually, right. You know, and it just, it, that would be enough to help carry them through this division. And we mentioned Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen uh, there along with Dalvin cook. I mean, that can carry you a long way. And then if Mike Zimmer can turn things around with the defense, cause they really suffered on defense last year. I mean, that last game between the bears and the, and the Vikings where it was, it was a running game charade. It was, you know, who's going to be the running better running back today. And David Montgomery came out on top on that particular day, but in, in most cases, we would not have been able to run the football on the Vikings like that because they're much better against the run. I don't know what it was that happened to them, but like you mentioned, they suffered a ton of injuries. I mean, they got carved up by, by Montgomery, and then a week later they got murdered by, by Kamara on national TV. It was, it was an ugly, ugly thing to watch, yeah. and very, very bad back-to-back performances uh, from that defense. If they can turn that thing around and with the offense that they have, you know, it. The, the, you know, they look to be the better team in this division without Aaron Rodgers playing for the Packers.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's one of those things where like they're the ones that then like luck into the Aaron Rodgers factor of the division. Right. Sure. Like you talked about with the potential for the Bears to do something similar to that. Um, you know, then all of a sudden they carry that. But, you know, there is something to be said in there their continuity and uh you know their ability to their retention uh, of players if they move from one season to another because they they didn't lose a lot over the course of the season i thought they made some positive adjustments in the secondary where they really needed it
2: right so and adding Darisaw was huge because they've yeah. struggled on the offensive line for some despite what dalvin cook has been able to do for them uh running mm-hmm. the football adding him into the mix will help them tremendously uh up front so uh that was a big move for them uh as well but um you know, if you believe the rumors, they were disappointed that they had to take Dariusaw because they traded out of 14 down to 23, and that's where they got Dariusaw. But they wanted Justin Fields at 14, if you believe the rumors. My Vikings hmm. guy says, no, nah, that's not true. I was like, okay, yeah. then, then why'd you trade out of the pick, dude, if he, <laughs> if he wasn't there, you know? But anyway, like, okay, yeah. you, you know, you've... He made a great case, but I still don't believe it. I still don't believe yeah. it. But yeah. this episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys, Spotify Green Room is a live audio only sports talk platform free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app, start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games, and of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android App Store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern is when Club 34-7 uh, hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the, uh, on the app so that you'll know any time that I go live. Because uh, we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you my loyal audience so be sure and download the spotify green room app wherever you get your apps (laughs) all right so let's move to your home division we go to the afc south we'll start with the falcons um they had a very interesting offseason um new general manager is it right yeah terry Fontenot, the new general manager yeah uh brand new head coach arthur smith former oc of the tennessee titans They stick with uh, Matt Ryan for now. Um, He's, I mean, 36 is old for a football player, but still young for a quarterback these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's still got a good couple years left, not to mention he is a salary cap nightmare for them uh, for the next year or two at least. Yeah, Um, Like his salary cap hit is like 40-something million dollars like next year or something. Like they're going to do something about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, they trim Julio Jones. He's off to Tennessee. Um, which is strange because you get Arthur Smith from Tennessee and then trade your best offensive weapon to Tennessee. Mm. So maybe that was part of the deal. Who knows? But, um, you know, but you draft quite possibly the best overall prospect in this draft in Kyle Pitts. You pass on a quarterback of the future. You get this, this dynamic player who, who every draft analyst on the four channels that the draft was aired on this year could not stop gushing over this kid which means one of two things. He's going to be everything that they thought they were, or he is going to be a dumpster fire of an NFL player. Because as you mentioned earlier, tight end is one of the hardest positions to transition to. And truthfully, he didn't play a whole lot of tight end for Florida. He was more of the uh, hybrid big guy. If he was Jimmy Graham, essentially, he played on the outside. They called him a tight end, but he was more of a gigantic wide receiver than anything else. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they
3: operated him kind of the way that, like, in the the actual position probably we would call would be split end,
2: okay. right? I
3: mean, he was yeah. the guy that was out on an island all by himself, sort of playing an X receiver type role, you know. And so it, it'll be interesting to see how it is that they utilize him. I think that you know you you move on from Helio Jones after you draft Kyle Pitts, so the move feels a little lateral, sure. In that way, if that's the way that you plan to use Kyle Pitts in the NFL. But if you plan to use him as a traditional tight end and you want him to block for you, which he is a willing blocker, like he's not afraid to do it. And he's had some good moments doing that, particularly against smaller, you know, bodies, which, you know, when you're Kyle Pitts, there are a lot of people with bodies smaller than you. Right. And so I think that that's something that we'll have to watch and see how they utilize them. Um, you know, they could always lean on Hayden Hurst to be that guy. That shouldn't be a problem. And, you know, they they brought him over from uh, Baltimore. Before last season and I thought he had a nice year with them before he got injured and so you know that's gonna be the biggest thing is I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say that Kyle Pitts is gonna have this you know incredible rookie season just because we don't really see that from rookie tight ends I mean it took Travis Kelsey you know Travis Kelsey had a nice rookie season but it took Travis Kelsey time to become Travis Kelsey it took George Kittle time to become George Kittle right like we we've seen all of that we've seen this Position be tough to translate before. Yeah. So, the big question is going to be who is it that's going to be most active opposite Calvin Ridley? Are they going to utilize Kyle Pitts as an outside receiver more than anything else, or and as that split in guy, or are they going to let Calvin Ridley be the X and then work somebody else in at Y? I mean, you know, that flanker role is something that, you know, Calvin Ridley served extremely well, even though he was the first option oftentimes in the Julio Jones offense. So, it's going to be really interesting to see where they go from here. And the, the last thing I'll, I'll mention before I shut up about them is, is just simply that, you know, the biggest issues for them last year were on the defensive side, and they really didn't do anything to help themselves no. there outside of maybe adding Eric Harris from Las Vegas. I mean, but I don't know how much that's really going to do for you.
2: Yeah, um I'm, I was looking at their transactions here uh, in my trusty uh, magazine, and the, the only other defensive player they signed was... <laughs> Marquee Mingo. Um, yeah well yeah yeah that didn't go well not at all <laughs> no I mean he was a nice player for us um who knows what he was up to while he was playing right. for the Bears because the thing that he got in trouble for happened in 2019 before he was ours right um so at least we can not blame Chicago the city for his transgressions right. but yes. uh Jeez. oh good lord Gross. uh what a story man yeah. Unbelievable. If, LSU
3: just can't stay out of the wrong side of the news
2: either, oof, I mean, that, If if <laughs> even one word of that is true, it's like oh bad, that's a bad look, man. Oh, so so bad. But um, you know, they did happen to add one of my uh favorite players to their roster this year, and strangely enough, he's listed as a running back in their um in their on their roster, and that's Cordell Patterson. Oh yeah. Um two years in Chicago, two Pro Bowls as a special teams player he signed for less money than we paid him in those two years so i'm pissed off that he's not a chicago bear anymore because if he was willing to take less to go to atlanta it's not because they have a better football team um the the falcons were a mess last year four and 12 um you know and and specialized in blowing huge leads last year i mean this was a team that absolutely could not get out of its own way you know they had the Bears by the balls in in Week Three. That's what that's how Mitchell Trubisky got himself benched. But we scored three touchdowns in the fourth quarter with Nick Foles as the quarterback to steal that game uh, from them. And this was a week after they gave up a huge lead to the to the Cowboys on the road the week before. So I mean they did it in back to back weeks. Just when you thought it couldn't be possible for them to do it a second time, they do it in more glorious fashion against the Bears. Um, I mean, it just. I mean, and just think about that that onside kick against the Cowboys, oh, where they all man. just sat there and watched the ball spin for five yards or whatever. It just like they're like, it's it's not made out of dynamite, guys. Pick the ball up for Christ's yeah. sake, you know. <laughs> it's all it's, yours to touch. Yeah, it, they have to wait ten yards before they touch the ball. You don't. It just showed a right. real lack of coaching and, and field awareness of the players involved. Uh, on that play, and
3: which is which is outstanding because when they kick on kicks, they're one of the better teams at doing it. Mm-hmm. Like when they're on the other side of that situation, they're one of the better teams. So it just goes to show you where they've spent time and where they haven't spent time. <laughs> right.
2: So, but I mean, this is a team that from 2016 they've they've lo- they've won fewer games than they have the year before. They won 11 yeah. in 2016. That's when they went to the Super Bowl, by the way. 2017 they win 10 games. 2018 2019 they both they won seven games in both of those seasons and last year they go down to four so Dan Quinn's been slowly but surely working his way out of Atlanta with his uh, with his win totals over the past five years they finally pulled the trigger mid-season uh, on Dan Quinn they bring in Arthur Smith uh, this year and uh, they're going to try to go forward from there it's it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see um, how they do will the will the change in head coach this you know the change in System bringing in this you know adios to Julio Jones hello to to Kyle Pitts uh, and things like that how will it all work out now that Calvin Ridley's the number one target even though like you said he pretty much was anyway um, because Julio Jones was being defended by three guys and all that kind of stuff so Ridley was right. pretty much always open um, how will it change now that you know Calvin Ridley really can't depend on those double teams for Julio Jones or will he hope that Kyle Pitts is the one taking up double teams so he can still be the wide open guy? Um, a lot of interesting things, and then like you said, for a defense that struggled as much as they did last year, they didn't do a lot to improve it. Not even so much in the draft. I mean, their their second round pick, Richie Grant, was a safety, and then is like maybe they got a corner in the fourth round, you know. But it's just all of their defensive help came in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round of the draft, and that's not where you're looking to improve your football team.
3: Yeah, and I do think Richie Grant's going to be very good. I just don't know how quickly he's going to find the field, or if they're going to keep Jalen Hawkins ahead of him, who they you know invested in last year. I could see them doing that. So uh, it, it's you know it's just tough to like look at this roster and say, oh yeah, no, they did a great job addressing their biggest needs because they didn't. Instead, they 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 built an offense that could have been just ridiculous with Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Kyle Pitts, and then promptly blew it up. Yeah. Uh, right afterwards. Now, I do. I will say that one of the underrated signings I think they had over the course of the offseason was adding Mike Davis, the running back from mm. Carolina. So Mike Davis did a really good job in place of Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, and he did. I think last year after you saw Todd Gurley score, you know, the worst touchdown in NFL history <laughs> up against the Detroit Lions. Oh, man. Uh, it was pretty clear that like that. Plus, I mean, just he didn't look like Todd Gurley and no, I don't think anyone should have reasonably expected him to look like Todd Gurley. I think Atlanta Falcons fans did, but the outside of that, no one really had much expectation for Todd Gurley at this point in his career. But I do think that the addition of Mike Davis was a smart one. Um, and and so I do think that that will be a benefit to them because their their running back room kind of got blown up. I mean, know, Smith is gone. Um, you know, a, a few of the guys that they had back there are all no longer a part of the franchise. And so the, I, I'm looking forward to sort of the rotation between Mike Davis and Cordero Patterson if they do indeed use him at running back.
2: Mike Davis, another miss for Ryan Pace because yeah. we had him in 2019. He did not last the season with us mm-hmm. because uh, we decided that we wanted that compensatory pick more than we wanted to keep Mike Davis on the team who we weren't using him at all we just weren't using him at all. Somehow he was third on the depth chart behind Patterson and Montgomery uh on that one and we ended up letting him go before the deadline and then we used that compensatory pick to get Nick Foles. So just yeah, we didn't get anything right with that one. Couldn't even <laughs> couldn't even couldn't even fix it in the end by using that pick to get something valuable or someone uh valuable. It's like God bless Nick Foles uh but uh ugh. That just did not work out. He's still on the team, by the way. But, uh, you know, we're all looking past Nick Foles at this point. Yeah. So we move on to Carolina. And we talked about how they're going to be one of like 14 or 15 teams this year that could possibly start a brand-new quarterback um, this season. Uh, They moved on from Teddy Bridgewater after they moved on from Cam Newton. Uh, So Teddy Bridgewater was a one-year experiment uh, for them. Uh, They trade – like what a 4 and a 2 and a like a 6 it was a like weird a trade yeah um that they made uh with the with the jets to get him and as I, I was looking right here almost half the teams will be new quarterbacks San Francisco Detroit the Rams the Eagles the Colts the Bears the Saints yeah we're still getting to your guys um mm-hmm. Carolina the Jets Jacksonville Houston Denver possibly New England with right. Mac Jones and Washington, yes, and also possibly question Mark Green Bay. So yeah, that's half the team. Half the the teams in this league could be starting new quarterbacks this year. So Carolina being one of them with Sam Darnold. And I don't think I'm as down on Sam Darnold as a lot of people are just because of the situation that he came up in with the Jets where he had little to no help out there it was really just kind of throwing it all. I mean if we learned anything about Sam Darnold is that he can't do it all by himself you can't put the whole team on him he needs to go someplace where you can compliment him give him some weapons and something to throw to and right off the bat Christian McCaffrey is night and day Mm -hmm. from anything that he ever had with the Jets
3: yeah that's absolutely right now look I, I am down on Sam Darnold I don't have a lot of trust in Sam Darnold I kind of feel the same way about him as I feel about Carson Wentz however This is another situation to where if it's going to work, it's going to work where they are right now. Right. And, you know, where they've gone. And that's how I feel about Sam Darnold. You know, you mentioned Christian McCaffrey. He's also got great weapons to throw to. And D.J. Moore, who, despite having new starting quarterbacks every season, has topped a 1,000 yards consistently. I mean, he's been one of the most consistent wide receivers in the NFL that no one talks about. And then Robbie Anderson, that's a bit of a reunite or not a bit of, you know, that's him and Sam Darnold reuniting in a Joe Brady offense, which could be very good for them. Joe Brady and Terrace Marshall reuniting from their time at LSU there as well. So I, I think that you can look at what they've done with Sam Darnold and and what they put around Sam Darnold and see that he's in a good situation. They bring back Dan Arnold as well. Or they bring in Dan Arnold as well, who's a good pass catching tight end, basically another wide receiver, essentially. And so there's a lot that you can sort of look at point to and say, OK, had done a good job building here around Sam Darnold and putting him in a good position. The biggest question is going to be, you know, the the changes that they've made on the offensive line. They traded away uh, Trey Turner last year and then ended up moving on from uh, the players that they got from the Chargers in the midst of all that. And so you've got Cameron Irving coming over um, and then, you know, Matt Paradis, Matt Paradis, per- Mm, I always mess up this name, Matt. I can do Unruh but I can't do Faradis <laughs> for some reason. Uh, but Matt Faradis is coming through. They just re-signed uh, Taylor Moten. Yeah, uh, gave him that big extension, four years, seventy-two million dollars, and then they put a little escalator in there. If he makes All-Pro as a left tackle, then he gets an additional million per year. Same so to the same thing with Ryan Ramchick. And so, you know, they're preparing to move the offensive line should they need to. They're building in the mechanisms to do that if they have to. And so I think the offensive line is where I have my question marks with them. And then the defense is where I have my question marks with them. But I'll tell you, Brian Burns, I think, is going to be a, continue to be an incredible player. He's gotten better and better and better every season. Them adding Hassan Redick I thought was really good. He and Brian Burns are going to be a really good tandem together, I think, as pass rushers. And then I love Jeremy Chin and J.C. Horn being in the same secondary. Yeah. I just think that is such a good complement of secondary players. Now, can all the rest of the pieces around them work out? Dante Jackson has gotten better in the NFL than he was in college, but can he stay healthy and all that? So I think, you know, you know where the question marks are, but I do think that Carolina is taking the appropriate steps forward. They gave Matt Rule a big, you know, long contract and time like to get this all. Seven years or something like out. that, right? Yeah, seven years. And so they gave him time to get it all figured out. And so far the signs are looking pretty good. But that that quarterback position is gonna be the big question.
2: Yeah, and this was also a team that, um, you know, granted they'd, just like the Broncos, granted they'd made a trade to find a replacement for the guy that that was the quarterback the year before, but this was also a team nobody would have batted an eye if they take Justin Fields at eight. Oh, absolutely. Nobody bats an eye if they take Justin Fields. It's like, yeah, they got Sam Darnold. He's going to be the starter this year, and then Fields is going to be your guy uh, going forward. That's what this move uh, represents, because Sam Darnold's still in his rookie his rookie contract yes the Panthers have already picked up the fifth year option but that only gives them like one extra year uh, after this or or whatever and it's just you know you can easily I mean and as I learned last year with Leonard Floyd and the Bears you can rescind the fifth year option and let the guy go so that's also an option for you so that doesn't mean anything as far as you know keeping Sam Darnold for the for the long-term future and everything Um, but you know, they, they instead they go with J.C. Horn and they add him to Jeremy Chin, who was probably one of my favorite players last year because he's a local guy, Southern Illinois uh, and things like that. And he came in he was a stud for them pretty much right away and, um, you know, has been an awesome player. This is a team that has pieces. It's just a matter, like you said, of Matt Rule putting the right pieces together to have some kind of long-term impact for the Panthers.
3: Yeah, that's going to be the big test for this one. And I think this is a good... You know test season for you know is Matt rule is the Matt rule Joe Brady thing going to work like you know does this position actually work because they were both rookie NFL head coach offensive coordinator last year and so making sure that that's actually going to work out um, I think it's going to be a big part of it Phil snow is such a good defensive coordinator for their system and what they're doing and their personnel in particular I think they've done a good job building for what Phil snow had or Phil Snow needs in, in a defensive system. And now I think you're seeing all the steps towards, you know, bringing in David Moore, Terrace, Marshall jr, you know, adding this, you know, your pocket passing quarterback. And then, you know, but with that has a bigger arm than Teddy Bridgewater, I think mm-hmm. is safe to say in Aaron and Sam Darnold, I think his his, you know, arm is gonna like blow you away by any means based on like Patrick Mahomes level, but I do think Sam Darnold has an arm that is bigger than Teddy Bridgewater's. I don't think that's a stretch. And then of course you get Christian McCaffrey back who, you know, that could have made all the difference for last season for them as well. So they're a team that could surprise and that could challenge a little bit, you know, more than maybe folks expect. But I think, you know, they'll still need some time to get into rhythm and figure it out. But they have all the pieces necessary to do that.
2: Yeah. Five and eleven, despite all their struggles uh, last year they you know they they start 0 and two, then they win three games in a row, but then that five game losing streak that followed that pretty much determined uh the rest of their season because they went uh let 's see two and two and nine the rest of the way, starting two right. and three, they go three and nine or whatever two and three and two excuse me then they then they lose then they go two and nine uh the rest of the way, and most of that without Christian McCaffrey, who I think suffered that foot injury. Like week two, week three, something like that. Yeah. And I think it was it was one of those things that kind of made the case that maybe we need to do away with these Thursday night games. Because you've you've got these NFL guys playing NFL games within like a ninety six hour window. It's like you you gotta stop with that. You know, keep Thanksgiving game, sure. That's no problem. But to keep pounding away at this week after week Thursday night game just because you want to own another night of the week it's not fair to the players. So no, it's like I, I on as as much as I would, uh, you know, miss a Thursday night game, uh, I'm sure college football would fill in nicely because they play every freaking day of the week during right. the season yeah. except for Monday. They pretty much, a Sunday and Monday, college football's got you covered the rest of the week, Tuesday through Saturday. So, you know, the, like the Thursday night games, I wouldn't miss them if, if they went away, especially in regards to the players. A lot of players hate those Thursday night games. So, I mean, Caffrey got hurt like week two on the Thursday Nighter or something like that. So, I'm sure the Panthers wouldn't be sad to see that go away anytime soon. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I was actually surprised that in negotiations for the 17th game being added to the season, that the Thursday night games weren't a part of the bargaining chips. Yeah. But from the NFLPA. But, you know, the NFLPA, that's a longer conversation for another time. But, you know, that's a real big missed opportunity to leverage that in terms of the safety for the players.
2: Well, maybe in like five years when we start talking about an 18th game, then they'll finally throw that in there and be like, we got to do away (laughs) with the Thursday nighters or we're going to add another game uh, to the schedule. You just got to stop it. So even though that's a financial windfall for the NFL, you know, for an organization that's, that's, you know, that a has done a lot of work and then, you know, always pounds the table that they care about the safety of their players Making sure that every single team in the NFL plays at least one day one Thursday night game is not going, to, going along with that, with that line of thinking. Not at all. Not at all. So we move on to your guys, the New Orleans Saints. So um, let's talk about it. Drew Brees was a, a lot of will he, won't he type thing throughout the offseason. Finally pulled the trigger uh, on the retirement. So he's done. He's moving on to the next phase in life. God bless him. One of my favorite quarterbacks to watch. Uh, you know, and it just one of, kind of a guy that defied the odds throughout his entire uh, career. You know, this was a, a six foot nothing quarterback that probably is shorter than that always right. had to kind of look over his offensive line. And yet still in in the history of the NFL, probably one of the most accurate passers you'll ever find, which is not what you'd expect from somebody who's trying to see through helmets because all of his offensive linemen are six, five or taller uh, in front of him has that. That catastrophic shoulder injury in his last year um, with the Chargers, the team that he was drafted by, didn't get picked in the first round by the Chargers, which seems like an an abomination of an idea at this point uh, with his career now over. Takes a chance with the New Orleans Saints, which was not a very good organization when he was coming in, but he takes a chance with the Saints. He goes with, with Sean Payton. And it was a marriage made in heaven. They went to the NFC Championship game their first year together and have been to the playoffs many, many times, won a Super Bowl in 09. And now that comes to an end, and we find out what kind of coach Sean Payton can be without Drew Brees. Now, he's had to do that a couple of times the last few years due to injury. But what can he do over a 17 game season as opposed to three or four games here and there?
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be really interesting to see this quarterback battle between the two. I mean, this is going to be the I mean, the, they're starting training camp here. The universe reporting day is you know not too far away. And mm-hmm. so I think if you look at the way that this team has sort of approached the offseason, um, they've really built a team that can support either one of these quarterbacks. And there's already a system there. That can support either quarterback. So to start with Taysom Hill, um, you know, you get your additional aspect when it comes to Hill, the additional element or layer because of what he can do with the ball in his hands uh, as long as he can keep the ball in his hands. Had a bit of a fumbling problem last year as a runner. No, no doubt about that. Uh, But, you know, he adds an additional element to the New Orleans Saints offense that hasn't ever really been a part of the New Orleans Saints offense with Drew Brees. You know, I mean, mobility was not Drew Brees' hallmark. His ability to be able to maneuver within the pocket certainly was. Anticipation, being able to throw at certain spots, knowing what his receivers was doing, just being the smartest guy on the field. Yeah. All that was very much there him but you can't anticipate that same thing for Taysom Hill. Although Taysom Hill did come in for four games and complete seventy two percent of his passes (laughs) during that time. But we have to remember too that during those four games he started against two he two of those games were against the Atlanta Falcons, a team with which he's very familiar Mm -hmm. as a division rival. Um and then the game against the Broncos was really just something that should have been thrown out altogether. Yeah. Because you were starting Kendall Hinton, the practice (laughs) squad wide receiver as the emergency quarterback for the opposition team. They talked about activating a coach as a player at one yeah. point,
2: to be that the quarterback, was, to go out there. That was not a good look for the NFL that they pushed that game not through. All. Not and at all. Not at all. And, they should have just yeah. been like, okay, bye weeks for everybody. Let's push this one further yep. uh, down the schedule, something like that. They, they should have thought of, of something. It's like, I know it was all thanks to COVID, and you know, because all the quarterbacks, like one moron quarterback didn't wear a mask and he got everybody else sick or, or whatever, the, whatever the situation was. But um, mm-hmm. the NFL should have stepped in and done something. There forcing yeah. the Broncos to play that game was just absolutely not fair.
3: Yeah, they had they had this whole thing before the season began about how, yeah, you know, we're going to schedule the Super Bowl for this date, but it can push up to two weeks beyond that. And they never took advantage of that, despite the fact that very clearly there was reason to do so, particularly toward the middle of the season as everything was just getting worse and worse. But so, I mean, you know, you can't really judge Taysom Hill for better or for worse or for the Four emergency starts that he had in place of Drew Brees, who broke like every rib in his body and punctured his lung and, you know, did everything (laughs) that that he was dealing with.
2: Amazing that he came back as soon as he did.
3: Yeah, it was outstanding. And, you know, looked pretty good once he came back, but unfortunately just wasn't able to, to keep it all together during that time. And I think there are a lot of people that unfairly look at Drew Brees and say, oh, well, he cost the Saints an opportunity at a Super Bowl And I I don't think that that's true because I don't think that Jameis in 2020 leads you to a Super Bowl, nor do I think that Taysom Hill in 2020 leads you to a Super Bowl as emergency replacement quarterbacks. It's not going to happen like Nick Foles doesn't happen every year. Nick Foles happened and that was Nick Foles and that was it. You know, Drew Brees coming back and getting the opportunity to, you know, try to lead his team to a Super Bowl in what pretty much everyone within the organization knew was his final year. Mm-hmm. that was the right thing for the team to do. And that was the right thing for Drew Brees because Drew Brees gives you your best chance because he's Drew Brees. It was really that simple.
2: Of course. I mean, it's just, you know, that's that's exactly how it was. And I think you and I talked about it last year was that heading into this season, mm-hmm. you had no quarterbacks on the roster. Right. Like Jameis was on a one-year deal. It was the last season for Taysom Hill on his current contract. And, of course, Drew Brees was done uh, contract-wise. So going into 2021, you had zero quarterbacks on the roster. Now you end up keeping both Hill and uh, Winston, and it's going to be a legit quarterback battle, or is it Winston's job to lose? How are we looking at it right now? I think, I mean,
3: if if I look at it at this point, I say Jameis Winston is in the lead, okay. but I still think it's a legitimate quarterback battle. I mean, the thing that the, that the Saints covet so much is NFL experience, and the only one out of these two that has, you know, a a, a substantial amount of that is Jameis Winston. And so that's going to count in his favor. The amount of work that he's doing with New Orleans Saints players over the course of the offseason, the the press conferences that he's doing, he's doing all the off the field leadership things that you want to see him do. Meanwhile, Taysom Hill is kind of keeping to himself. You know, he worked on his own in Idaho for a little while. He kind of secretly worked for a month with New Orleans Saints players in New Orleans. But he hasn't been as kind of, you know, he hasn't been sharing his process on social media, and so people just kind of gravitate towards Jameis Winston publicly in terms of the public perception because Jameis is letting you into his process a little bit more. But that doesn't mean he's in the lead. Uh, it's it's really the NFL experience that makes a big difference. The, the the difference though is that Taysom Hill has also spent more time and has more experience with this particular system. Yeah. Regardless of whether or not he's been a quarterback during that full time. He's been in the quarterback room. He's been in everybody else's position room too. So he knows how they play the game. He knows where they're expected to be. And then he is also I mean, the, the organization loves the guy and yeah. Sean Payton loves the guy. I mean, so that's gonna give him a legitimate shot. Like they're not gonna they're not gonna shortcut either one of these guys
2: an opportunity here. Well, it's such a weird situation with, with Taysom Hill because if you name him your starting quarterback, then you're losing a weapon on offense, so to speak. Uh, because they do let him do right. a lot of things, run the football, go out for passes uh and things like that the guy's a key contributor no matter what he ends up doing but if say Winston does win the job, will taysom Hill be as big a part of the offense as he was before because he 's the backup quarterback if winston isn't the uh, if winston wins the wins the job
3: I think he still would be and the thing about it is that in game so let 's say that just like what we saw last year, drew Brees got hurt. And couldn't go out there and start the second half of the San Francisco game. Mm-hmm. So Jameis Winston went in as a backup quarterback so that they could maintain their game plan with Taysom Hill as a part of it on the offensive side. But then when it came to a game-by-game situation, Sean Payton, who had an agreement in place with Taysom Hill when Taysom signed his RFA tender in the two-year deal before the 2020 season—
1: mm-hmm.
3: He had an agreement in place with Taysom Hill that if Drew Brees misses extensive time, then you're the starter. And so Sean Payton stayed true to his word, kept loyal with it, even though they signed Jameis Winston after that conversation. And then Taysom became the starting quarterback for those games that Drew Brees was gone. The agreement with Jameis Winston was you get your chance when when Drew Brees retires. So Drew Brees has retired. Now he's getting his chance to compete for the job. So if Jameis gets hurt and they need to replace him in game as an emergency quarterback, then you could see Trevor Simeon, Ian Book, those are the other two quarterbacks are on the roster. Whichever one, I think it'll be Ian Book, will be the one that wins that third quarterback role, personally. Mm-hmm. He should be the one, would likely be the one to come in in-game. But then probably starting the next game would be Taysom Hill at QB2.
2: Interesting. So that means, I mean, even though, you know, if Taysom Hill doesn't win the job and he's more of a utility wide receiver slash hybrid uh, kind of guy, you're carrying three quarterbacks into every game. What kind of roster decisions is that, that does that uh, afford?
3: It's pretty standard for New Orleans. New Orleans usually carries three quarterbacks into every game. They have over the course of the last few seasons, just mm-hmm. mainly because of the way that they use Taysom Hill. So in every game last year, Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston, Drew Brees were all active. The two years before that, Drew Brees, Taysom Hill, Teddy Bridgewater, all active for every one of those games, sure. 2018, 2019. And so it's pretty standard for their roster balance, and they're usually pretty okay um, around that. And so what they do to help with that is that over on the defensive side, you get these guys like P.J. Williams who can play safety and who can also play corner on the outside and can also play in the slot. Patrick Robinson can play in the slot and play outside. So they go in, you know, in the secondary as well as on the offensive line and defensive line, and they find those guys that can play multiple roles, and then they, quote-unquote, take up two roster spots, if you will, with sure. one player.
2: Okay. All right, that makes sense. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about with the Saints was I don't think there was a team that was in a more dire position as far as the salary cap going into this (laughs) offseason. And then the NFL took $20 million off the top uh, to make it that much worse. Um, And as I'm looking at your transactions here in my trusty little magazine, um, you signed three players, but you lost 14, I think, is the number that I'm looking at Mm -hmm. here. And some some pretty big names on this list, uh, you know you, Quan Alexander uh, and Zoloney. Obviously, Drew Brees, Malcolm Brown's in Jacksonville. Jared Cook uh, is gone. Trey Hendrickson, who you say was a one year wonder, Josh Hill is off to Detroit. Following uh, Dan Campbell, Janoris Jenkins is gone. Sheldon Rankins, Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, that's a that's a lot of talent that's no longer wearing the black and gold, man. I mean, uh, are the Saints going to be a good football team this year? They're going to be able to hold it together. Um,
3: I think that's a good question. I think they, they can, but it's all going to hinge on the quarterback position. The, Mm -hmm. the loss that matters, or excuse me, it's going to hinge on two, hinge on two things. Actually, the quarterback position, their ability to be able to run Sean Payton's offense. That's going to be a big part of it. The other thing is going to be the defense because you named some of the players that they lost. The, the fact that matters that Quan Alexander was always a one year rental from the very beginning. So they had traded for him at the, at the trade deadline. Brought him in. Uh, they sent a conditional fifth round pick that ended up conveying to last year. And then they sent Kiko Alonso, who freed up some salary cap space for them and didn't even make the roster in San Francisco after he was traded. And then <laughs> Kiko Alonso got hurt. And so, Alonso, uh, excuse me, uh, Quan Alexander got hurt after yeah. seven games with the Saints. He played phenomenal football, by the way, yeah, the he Saints did. during that time.
2: I heard a lot about uh, what he did before he got hurt.
3: Yeah. Yeah. He played really, really well in that system. And, but you know, he had a $13 million salary cap number attached to him a hundred percent non-guaranteed going into 2021. So the Saints were never planning to keep him. That was always kind of a one-year rental and then a cut and then at best see if they could resign him. right now. He's in the midst of rehabilitating the injury and things like that. And so now they've drafted Pete Warner. They've drafted Zach bond last year. They're pretty okay with where they are at, um, at linebacker at the moment. So he wasn't that big of a loss for them. And the two biggest losses would be Janoris Jenkins, who to this day, the Saints organization wish they could have kept. And the and of course, Drew Brees, the retiring of Drew Brees. Emmanuel Sanders, that experiment, they never really even got to know what Emmanuel Sanders was. This seemed like I mentioned he was really reliable for them while Michael Thomas was out. Yeah. But the idea was to pair him with Michael Thomas. Right. And they never got an opportunity to see what that was. And so it was really tough to justify holding on to him and seeing when there was no base for the loss, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, So the big thing is going to be like, can they figure out what to do opposite Marshawn Lattimore at cornerback? Because Patrick Robinson, can you really lean on him for 17 games? Paulson Adebo, who they drafted in the third round out of Stanford, is he going to be ready? He opted out of the 2020 season, ended his 2019 season after only nine games with an ankle injury, hasn't played football full speed. Competitive since November of 2019. Wow! So nearly two months by the time that the September season begins. So it, can he be ready? Uh, it's tough. So they have to make some kind of a big move there. They also just had their top defensive tackle in David Onyemata. They lost Sheldon Rankins over the offseason, but David Onyemata was their number one guy. He just in the got interior. suspended. He just got suspended for right. Wow! To start the season. So the defense. And the quarterback position, you know, just the two most important things on an NFL football team. <laughs> those are the biggest question marks for the New Orleans Saints. So I don't know really what the yeah. expectations are until we see how they address their positions. Right. So I put them in that same like big question mark spot as we put some of the other teams that we've discussed. Sure. Because, man, these question marks are massive for the New yeah. Orleans Saints. And they're only getting more and more and more because not only did they get that suspension for Marshall, excuse me, for um, David Onyemata, but Marshall Lattimore was also arrested over the offseason possession of a stolen weapon and so he may also have a suspension early on in the season so a slow start is really really possible for new orleans and even though they've climbed their way out of that hole before they've always climbed out of that hole on the back of drew Brees. Mm-hmm. they don't have that luxury this time
2: right stolen weapon come on man i just i don't understand i don't i really don't like all the times that you would hear about players getting busted for drunk drunk driving, and everything it's like call a taxi and in these days call a goddamn uber something don't drive home you know they're not going to tow your car just leave it there you know have somebody else drive it or whatever you know somebody can take care of that for you do not get behind the wheel you get busted for it what are you doing with a stolen weapon what are you doing with a stolen what are you doing number one you're doing a weapon at all number two what are you doing with a stolen one you know, yeah. on top of it I, all, it's just it just boggles the mind some of the trouble these guys get themselves into.
3: Yeah, it's 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 pretty uh, unbelievable sometimes. But I, I I will also say that there's a lot of that story that we probably haven't gotten Oh, of yet. course, yeah. And so we'll see. But you know, it, it could it could very well end up that either way because of the way that the NFL is about things like this that he could end up suspended for you know one or two games to start the season, two or four games to start the season. Like, right. it, it could be a really big hole that the Saints have to dig themselves out of now they maintain of course Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara Ryan Ramchek, they extended they were able to somehow despite the fact they were over a hundred million dollars over the salary cap <laughs> they were able to franchise tag Marcus Williams so they also pulled off some really ridiculous things in terms of maintaining the core of their team yeah but now they're starting to lose players of that core yeah David Onyemata and potentially Marshall Lattimore for at least a portion of the season large time large chunk of that for David Onyemata six games is six brutal. games yeah yeah, that's rough and uh, and everything. So, you know, even though they've maintained the core in terms of who's who's getting money, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, doesn't do much for them in terms of, you know, who's going to be available for them to start the season.
2: Yeah, I, I, I was you know wondering when when that when that list came out and I think I don't maybe you actually were one of the people that shared it or at least one of the people that replied to it on Twitter when they released the list of salary cap space. And it's like New Orleans was below the line where the text turned red all of a sudden yeah. they were way at the bottom with, you know, however much it was going into the uh off season. And I'm like, and they're trimming a twenty five or something like that million dollar salary from uh Drew Brees off the books. God forbid mm-hmm. if you wanted to come back, what would that cost them? You oh know, yeah. Was- that
3: was that was a big question too. I mean we were all like ninety eight percent sure that Drew Brees was not going to come back for the 2021 season, but there was always kind of the conversation of like, well, if he does like the saints are in dire straits at that point, <laughs> exactly. like they have to find a way to get his stuff. Cause there was no way he was going to reduce his salary. You know, he took the salary cap reduction before actually making the official retirement announcement, but he wasn't about to play on a veteran minimum. when he had 11 <laughs> fractured ribs a season before, absolutely not. Right. Absolutely no way. So that was a big yeah. question mark about the, you know, kind of, Hey, 2% is still a possibility. Right. So, right.
2: <laughs> so we move on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who, despite winning the whole thing last year, did not win this division. That was your beloved Saints that that pulled that off. You say for the fourth year in a row, fourth year in a row, fourth
3: first, in a first row. time in the division that it ever that it had happened.
2: Yeah, because for the longest time, there there was a pattern there from like the start of the division for like deep into the the birth of the <laughs> NFC North South was that the team that finished last the year before finished first the year after. kind of thing like there was was a a, weird pattern going on with that for a long time
3: yeah and there was a long time too to where no team had ever won back
2: to back the division
3: two times in a row I think it wasn't until the Carolina Panthers did it three years in a row including their Super Bowl run yeah um that it had actually that it had finally happened
2: and I think, wasn't one of those years where like the, the AFC South had a down season and they won it like seven and nine or, or something like that. And they just, oh yeah, I think they, so. Like that was the first of the three years to win the division yeah. in a row. <laughs> it was like, yeah, well, you won it at seven and nine last year. Big deal. You know, it's like, yeah. I don't really going to count. It was like, okay, well, then we'll win it two years in a row after that. Okay. Then that counts, you know, but, yeah <laughs> but we move on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, who went on a historic run, uh, after, you know, they, they had the last bye week. Uh, of the season, uh, after week twelve, they get. Um, was it the Saints game before the bye for them? No, Is that the one where they they got completely slaughtered in that game. Yeah, they did. It was like on Sunday like Night Football or something like that yeah, too. They like absolutely Nashville. just got taken to the woodshed uh, on that one by your guys. And uh, no, I think it was no, it was after that they it was ironically enough it was the Chiefs because they had. Uh-huh. They had right. lost three out of four. They they lost to New Orleans, huge, 38-3. Uh, they beat Carolina, and then they lost back-to-back games to the Rams and the Chiefs before that Week 12, Week 13 bye. But after they come back from yeah. the bye, they win four games in a row to finish 11-5, and five, go to the playoffs, and then went on their historic run to make it to the Super Bowl and win it, all with Brady in year one uh, as their quarterback. So... You know, this was a team that was, that kind of was winning their games in spurts. They, they start 0 1. Obviously, they lose week one to the Saints, which I don't think anybody thought was a big surprise. Uh, it's week one, no training camp, no OTAs or whatever. Really, the first time you're on the field together. It's no surprise that Drew, Drew Brees and the Saints and a team that's been together, playing together for years was able to overcome, uh, the Buccaneers. They come around three games and they win a row after that. Then they lose to my beloved Chicago Bears on Thursday Night Football, which was my favorite game of the season. Great game. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Then they win three more, including an utter dismantling of the Green Bay Packers. Um (laughs) which was also enjoyable to watch. And my favorite thing about that game, ironically enough, we've got this Key and Peele theme going on in the last show, uh, was uh, right. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron <laughs> uh, I forget the name of the player, uh, but his touchdown celebration as an yes. ode to that skit, which is just absolutely classic. I, that was like one of my favorite skits ever uh, between <laughs> those guys. But um, Dingle, Hingle McCringleberry was the name Hingle of the player. Hingle yeah, yeah. McCringleberry, his touchdown celebration to mock that. <laughs> But then three games, they win, lost to Carolina. Or, or they Then, then that's when the, the Saints, the three out of four before the bye week. And then they win right. eight straight after that, including the last four games in the playoffs to win the Super Bowl. So, you know, and as we mentioned before, I think we did in, in the AFC game, they vowed to keep the band together at the Super Bowl parade, and they did just that. Everybody's yeah. back everybody all 22 starters first Super Bowl champion maybe in history to be able to say that or at least during the modern era anyway in the free agent era somebody always picks the bones of the Super Bowl champion to take guys away the the Buccaneers did not allow that to happen and uh, they're coming back at full strength and are probably widely regarded as one of the favorites to repeat uh, to do it all over again because why wouldn't they
3: and it's it's really incredible what they did yeah i mean everybody everybody's coming back and they kept the band together not just on the player side but the coaching side too. yeah Which sometimes it's tough that was even more extraordinary teams.
2: Yeah, you know that was really even more tough. amazing
3: yeah and so uh you know uh, it, it's it's a testament to how much they believe that this team can repeat
1: mm-hmm.
3: and and they have every reason to they have every reason to considering what they were able to do last year and you know we we also learned not too long ago that Reportedly, Tom Brady led this team on a torn MCL to that Super Bowl win. It's like, really,
2: do we just need to keep adding to his legacy on this? Can't we just say it was amazing that he did it at 42, not that he did it at 42 on an MCL or minus an MCL last year? It's like, can we just stop with it already? Like, amazing that he did what he did on its own merits. Now we find out he he was missing a knee ligament the whole time. Come on.
3: (laughs) It's ridiculous. And so, you know, I mean, uh, you know, they they should be the favorites going into the 2021 season because there's no reason not to. I mean, you know, we talked about earlier how, you know, sometimes we we kind of rest our analysis looking ahead to a team on what we can look back to. But there's every reason to when it comes to Tampa Bay, because it's the same team. Everything about them is the exact same. And the division got weaker. Right. That they're in. Right? Yeah. With the New Orleans Saints losing their quarterback with, you know, a change at the quarterback for the uh for Panthers. the the Carolina Panthers, thank you. And then the, you know, questionable decisions made by the Atlanta Falcons and a defense that just didn't get better. Right. Like this it's only more sure that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at this point should be the favorites for the NFC South and certainly one of the favorites in the NFC, particularly if, you know, things don't come together in Green Bay. Right. The way that I'm sure Green Bay would like for it, too.
2: And and that's what what kind of makes this you know a painfully short conversation to have about Tampa Bay because not much has changed from last year. Literally everyone is back, which was the stroke of brilliance for this team. Like you, like even you mentioned, they even kept their coordinators. Both Byron right. Leftwich, both Todd Bowles uh, come back. Bruce Arians decides that hey, why not double down on this whole thing? I'll come back even though I have every reason to retire right now. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and everything they they resign and 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 bring everybody else uh, back uh, as well uh, Chris Godwin's coming back in on the uh, on the franchise tag but he's coming back at least for this season they've also because they're a same place opponent for the Bears so I've I previewed uh, the Buccaneers and my Buccaneers guy says that Buccaneer fans should not expect that to happen in 2022 that uh, Mm, the band is definitely getting broken up after this year. So they're going all in on 2021 to see if they can uh, see if they can run it back. And um, but don't look for that to happen again next season. It's going to be a different story altogether. Yeah, absolutely.
3: So So, it's, uh, I mean, I think I should I think I'm supposed to hate it because I'm supposed to say, oh, well, Tampa Bay's you know, a division rival and blah, blah, blah and everything like that. But honestly, like it's it's impressive to watch. Yeah, and it really is. It just it just solidifies the excellence of Tom Brady. And we might be watching Tom Brady's last season
2: this Very year, well just like be. we
3: watched Drew Brees' last season last year. Yeah. And so I'm looking forward to appreciating that. As much as I can, because the game changes wildly once Tom Brady's not in it anymore.
2: Yeah. I mean, it feels like he's been in the league forever because it's not far from the truth at this point. But, you know, a a league without the NFL hasn't or excuse me, a league without Tom Brady in the NFL hasn't existed since before the turn of the century. Right. Unbelievable. And he's still playing as good now as he did he's better now than he was in the beginning. So that's where this sans AC MCL sans MCL. Correct. And that's that's the big surgery that he had to have uh, during the off season, which at the very beginning was, was said to be a minor procedure. And now we find out it was ACL or MCL replacement surgery. So yeah, not that big a deal. So, yeah. So we move on the NFC West. We're finally wrapping things up here. We start with the Arizona Cardinals. Now this is a division that might be the best in football, period, mm-hmm. because you have the Rams, because you have the Seahawks, you have Arizona, um, and, of course, you have the 49ers who are coming back from a disastrous run as the Super Bowl loser. They definitely got bitten by that Super Bowl loser curse uh, mm-hmm. in 2020, starting with um, uh, with the injury. And the funny thing was I expected week one last year to be a bloodbath of injuries uh, after yeah. no training camps, no preseasons, no OTAs. You expect these guys to go from zero to 60 week one. There's going to be ACLs and hamstrings and all kinds of injuries all over the place. Week one, fairly quiet week two was the bloodbath. And one of the great victims of it was the 49ers. Just the, sure. the just the disastrous game, even though they won against the the jets week number two, they paid heavily for that win, and it, and it determined their, their whole season. The yep. Cardinals, on the other hand, were one of those teams that um, you know it's like they started out strong, but they really kind of petered out at the end there, cost themselves uh, a playoff spot. I mean, I think they were like seven and three at one point, and they fell all the way down to eight and eight. same record as the Bears, but the Bears had some kind of wacky tiebreaker uh, mm-hmm. over them, like a uh, common opponents. Or something like that. We yeah. had a higher win percentage against our higher, higher against our common opponents than they did with theirs, and that's why we got the right to get our asses kicked by the Saints instead of them. <laughs> so, but in the time that Cliff Kingsbury has been the head coach of this team, they've been better the next year than they were the year before. You know, right. he comes in; they were three and thirteen the year before. He comes in; they're five and eleven. Year number two, they're eight and eight barely miss out on the playoffs so the pattern holds they're going to be at least one game better uh this year because no one can go eight and eight anymore so maybe they go nine and eight or they do better and they find themselves in the playoffs but they've got six games to navigate between the rams the 49ers and the seahawks and that's not going to be easy for anybody
3: yeah, I mean, it's going to be one of those things where, like, the NFC West is going to be determined by how much they cannibalize themselves. Correct. Like, that's really what this is going to be, right? I mean, yeah. that's six of their 17 games is against those division opponents. And, you know, I think that the Arizona Cardinals, I thought, did a good job over the course of the offseason. You know, bringing in A.J. Green, I can go either way on. I, I right. think we have to wait and see on that. But I love the addition of Rondell Moore. Uh, to this offense, and then the way that they address their defense and bring in Zayvon Collins to add to Isaiah Simmons, just incredibly, um, incredibly versatile and and just uh, multiple athletic linebackers in that in that defense. And then you have the signing of J.J. Watt, which was just outstanding. And I don't know about you, but I did not expect J.J. Watt to go to. Arizona no uh, so when the when you know he shared that I thought that was just that took me by surprise big time <laughs> um, And so I, I love very much with They have one of the best safeties in the NFL and Buda Baker mm-hmm. and you know, young Kyler Murray has done a fantastic job yeah. since he's been coming in, and he's continuously gotten better. and He's close to he's at least in top fifteen quarterback conversation, which is easy to say when fifteen sixteen other quarterbacks are changing teams, but, right? <laughs> you know, <what> I mean, <laughs> you know, but he's up there, and you know they have a they have a schedule that's not you know um, incredibly tough outside of their divisional matchups I mean they get the AFC South so they get a couple of games against Jacksonville and they get a game or they get a game against Jacksonville and a game against Houston um, you know we know that there's a lot of question marks around them Indy we will have to see how they pan out they get the Lions you know there's there's a lot of they get the, so pieces of the NFC East because of their division placement as well they get right. the Cowboys and so there's really good opportunity for them depending upon how they can perform within their division but I think they have a lot of the right pieces uh, and and they're looking at a pretty Um, I don't want to call it a favorable schedule because, in fact, we don't know what the schedule really is because we don't know what the teams are and you know what their rosters are or anything like that. But I I think they're in a good position to take advantage of what they've got.
2: Yeah, and it's 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 unfortunate that they belong to the division that they belong to. Yeah, Um, because in 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 any other division, like if. If Arizona was still in the NFC East like it was inexplicably for so many years, <laughs> uh, they would be the heads. They would be the head and shoulders favorite in that right. division, in my opinion. Uh, it would sure. be them and, and the Washington Football Team battling it out for first place mm-hmm. uh, this season. You know they would be duking it out for sure. But because they're in a team or in a division that has the Rams, that has the Seahawks, and has you know what's supposed to be a rejuvenated Forty Nine er team, I mean they could. F- Easily finish in fourth place and still be like nine and eight, ten and seven, or, or something uh, like that. If everybody turns out to be what we think they will be this year, so mm-hmm. it, it's just an unfortunate circumstance for the the Cardinals to belong to this division because, like we mentioned during the in the AFC show, where the the during this this wild free agency period where you know we have. 20 million off the salary cap because of covid and all that kind of stuff. Right. There were very few buyers out there. The Cardinals were out there buying. They went out and they yep. got AJ Green, they got uh JJ Watt, they signed Matt Prater who was low key one of the probably bigger signings of the offseason. He's one of the better True. kickers in the league and they, you know, they bring him in uh, you know, from um Detroit. From Detroit, yeah. Um, you know, so they they get AJ Green, they 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 get Gabe Jackson after the after the Raiders right. let him go for for whatever reason, so they solidify the interior uh, of the offensive line uh, as well. So I mean, these were guys that were out there looking to improve their football team in an off season where it just wasn't possible for a lot of teams. Like, hell, we just got done talking about your Saints. They had to dig themselves out of a hundred million dollar salary cap hole mm-hmm. before they could even think about improving the team. So you know, this just wasn't a good off season to be in a need position with your players that they have to have holes to fill. Uh, this year and the Cardinals apparently were in that spot and they went out there and they were aggressive about it and it might not be it might be all for nothing because they play in the toughest division in football. Yeah, but at the same
3: time right like they have to put themselves in a position to be able to compete with it. Absolutely. Division. And I, yeah. yeah, and I think they did a good job doing that and, and this offseason that was really unique about it is that it didn't come down to teams that are winners are usually attractive to uh, to free agents, right? This year, what you saw was that winning teams were just working to retain their pieces while these other teams that were already sort of getting better became the free agency destinations because they had the money yeah, and they had the promise. Mm-hmm. And I think that was where Arizona really got an opportunity to take advantage of this offseason because they became a destination yeah, because they're a team that was steadily getting better, even though they weren't the best team. They were steadily getting better. And they had the cap space that the best teams in the NFL don't have. Because the best teams in the NFL spend money. That's what they do. Right. And that's how they get the best players. And those guys didn't have money this offseason because of that drop in salary. And so I thought that what Arizona did was a really, really smart – it was a smart time to jump out there and spend that money, I think.
2: Yeah. And, um, but also at the same time, you know, like I said, we previewed the NFC West because we play this division uh, this year – um, my Cardinal guys is also like, you know, for all that they did, it's, it's also, they put themselves in a spot where JJ Watt was a one year, maybe two year deal. AJ green is a one year deal. So if they have to scrap it and start over, they're in a good position to do that too. Yeah. So if, yeah. if they it's have to, building. you know, do like you said, there's some good team building. If we have to, you know, shift gears and go a different way next year, if it doesn't work out this year, then we can go younger. And we have the money and the trade, you know, the draft assets to do that next year uh, as well. So the Cardinals seem to be covered either way. They can succeed in 2021, and God forbid it doesn't work out, they're in a good position to 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 maybe not so much rebuild, but reload 2022 and beyond. So
3: it's really, really well played by. Steve Keim, who's the general manager there, and they're they're pro-personnel folks in particular. I think they did pretty well in the draft as well, like I mentioned earlier. But really, the way that they navigated the salary cap, the way they navigated contract negotiations, and the free agent market is really what will set them up for uh, whatever it is that's necessary for them moving ahead.
2: So we go to the Rams, and um, I think right here, right now, they're my favorite in this division because of the addition of Matt Stafford, because he is everything that Jared Goff wasn't, um, in and uh, including tougher than Jared Goff, because mm-hmm. he's been through the ringer in Detroit. Yeah. Trust me, I've watched it happen to him year in and year out for the better part of a decade. That poor bastard <laughs> yeah, trying man. to do what he can uh, in Detroit and not getting a whole lot of help out there. I know it's bittersweet for him to have to move on, but uh, you know, as I mentioned before, and as I've mentioned several times in talking to my Rams guy, and even my Lions guy, he currently belongs to the best team he's ever been a part of in his entire career. You know, He has the number one defense, literally the number one defense in the NFL. He has a running game which has eluded him his entire career. That's not a joke. We mentioned it before, like 1,200-yard rushing games in 12 seasons as a starting quarterback in the NFL. That is bananas. Mm -hmm. Bananas that he was still able to be the guy that he was. And But he also comes into an offense that has a Cooper Cup and um, you know the, the various tools and, and weapons and such. Uh, Deshaun Jackson is coming in. He's already got Robert Woods, uh, Tyler Higbee, uh, and Cam Akers at running back, and he catches the ball out of the backfield, Daryl Henderson Jr. So he's already coming in to a situation that's better than any that he's been a part of. And it's a much more stable organization, not to mention his head coach is not a flaming idiot on top of it. He's coming into somebody who's a modern day genius in Sean McVay. It's better across the board for him. And I think a lot of people are expecting him to hit the ground running here.
3: Oh yeah. I think Sean McVay is a big time winner in this situation too. I yeah. mean, I really do. Like Sean, Sean McVeigh's system is not an easy system to learn. And it was clearly held back not only by the, Physical capabilities, but I would even go so far as to say the mental capability to run the offense with Jared Goff Mm
1: -hmm. And
3: now you get Matthew Stafford who's gonna be able to come in and run this offense like it's you know The like he'll know it like it's the back of his hand because that's what Matthew Stafford does and you know He's run complicated West Coast offenses before and now he gets sort of a a blend of that and everything else that Sean McVay does and has Innovated within that system and he does it with weapons I mean, you know We talk about the run game being something that he's gonna be able to finally take advantage of cam Akers. It's fantastic and really closed out the season last year really strong once he got opportunities. And then you look at the wide receiver position. You mentioned Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, but you know Van Jefferson, who they drafted last year, yeah. who kind of came in as a veteran because he was already like 24, 25 years old. <laughs> and they drafted him out of Florida. The kid's so good, and he's such a good route runner. And for the first time in a while, he has a really good offensive lineman, excuse me, offensive line. Ahead Mm -hmm. of him. That was another place that really struggled in Detroit was protecting uh, Matt Stafford. It's why we learned how tough he was, unfortunately, because of how much he got beat up. And so I think when you when you look at all that and this defense that was the number one defense last year, that yes, lost some pieces. We referenced the, uh, the the Cleveland Browns in the AFC episode and how many of the secondary players they took from LA, and of course Brandon Staley moved over to the Chargers, and now they go to Raheem Morris, who was fantastic as a defensive coordinator in uh, in Atlanta, Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, they they've really done some good things here to to fill the spots that were created. Uh, over on the defensive, over on the defensive side, and so I'm, I'm excited about the Rams. I completely agree with you. They're to me the favorite within this division. Um, I'm curious to see if they're going to run a little bit of that tight front, uh, tight odd man front, like we saw from the Giants and Patrick Graham mm-hmm. last year. They're looking like one of the teams, just like the Minnesota Vikings, that are looking to kind of replicate that. And so I'll be really interested to see how that affects Aaron Donald because then that puts Aaron Donald in the middle but it puts him next to leonard floyd yeah. as opposed to being in the mix is just a three tack and you know that kind of being the, the the long and short of it i think it's going to open up aaron Donald to even more opportunities which is kind of scary yeah <laughs> so I'm, I'm really excited to see this team next year
2: yeah it also doesn't hurt you know for matt stafford to be joining a team that has literally the best football player quite possibly in the history of the nfl right uh, on the other side of the ball uh leading the uh leading the defense because as i mentioned before when he was in detroit the the two, the last two the two great teams that he was a part of 2011 and 2014 number 1 no running game and number 2 they had to score 100 points a game because their defense yeah. was atrocious and that's right. not going to be an issue for him uh in 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 los angeles he can win a football game 21 to 17 because that's possible uh with the rams it's not like you know i have to win a game 43 to 38 Right, uh, because my defense is is a, is a you know a a paper bag, a wet paper bag is just getting torn through uh, each and every week. So, um, you know, I, I the only thing that concerns me about the Rams, it really even isn't so much a twenty twenty one thing. It's and actually in some ta- in some ways it is. I don't know how this team can afford their roster or how they do this because they've got at least off the top of my head here. At least five guys making twenty plus million a season, and the last time I checked, salary cap was one hundred ninety eight million. Right. If you got five guys taking up fifty percent of your salary cap, how are you fielding a team? And somehow they do, and somehow they manage it. It's because I guess they don't they they don't give a damn about draft picks because they just they give really those don't. away. They just like, hey, if you want a first rounder here, it's all yours. Take it. Yep. We'll just take the quarterback and. You know, or anything like that. And it's not like the Rams are in a desperate situation where they have to win now and they need to make these moves. They're making these moves because they want to win now. And, you know, they're they're doing what's necessary to win today, or at least that's what Les Sneed does as their general manager, uh, you know, and that's how they make the moves that they do. And, you know, it's up to them and their scouting department and, and everybody to fill in the gaps between these generational players like Jalen ramsey like like aaron donald like matt stafford and stuff like that to fill in the holes whereas you know you probably can't have the second best player in the league at this position maybe you got to go third or fourth to fill in the roster and then the coaching has to take care of the rest
3: yeah yeah and the thing that's really helpful for them too is that they the draft picks that they do make they've done pretty they've done a pretty good job with yeah Here as of late, I mean, guys like Daryl Henderson and and Cam Akers, that really good running back tandem that they have Van Jefferson, uh, you know, Cooper Cup, who they got back in 2017. I mean, they've done a very good job when they do make selections, but they don't allow the draft picks. If they feel like a draft pick can return them a veteran that could be an impact now, they're not going to wait on a on a rookie to pan out. They're going to go ahead and make that move and make sure that they go and get the guy that's going to be, you know, effective at this moment where they want it. And so and I think it's smart. I think it's a very smart approach. I like the way that they that they team build and what they do. And, you know, their contract management has they've done a great job there, because even though the APY on some of these guys is 20 per year, they're not counting 20 per year against the salary cap. Right. Like these early portions of their contract are 15 or below in some instances. And so they're doing a very good job in terms of how they've done it. Now they finally get to pay off with it because they don't have a quarterback that's going to hold them back anymore. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they've done well, they've drafted well, they've contracted well, they've signed well, they've managed their roster well, and now they have a quarterback that can actually lead them somewhere. And uh, I'm I'm excited about the Rams in uh, 2021.
2: It's it's a practice in extreme roster building with the way that Mm -hmm. they've done it, but it's worked out for them up to, up to this point, they were in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. They were in the playoffs again uh, last year, won that uh, road game in Seattle uh, last year to move on to, to play Green Bay in the divisional round uh, and everything. And I think with the addition of Stafford, people, including myself, are expecting much bigger things uh, from them uh, this year. So yep. we move on to the 49ers, and we've mentioned the 49ers and the year that they had last year. Um, you know, George Kittle missed a big chunk of last season. Jimmy Garoppolo was one of the victims in that week two game uh, against the Jets. Joey or Nick Bosa, excuse me, goes down week two for the season with an ACL uh, in that game. And it was just, you know, just a mess for them, a disaster uh, of injuries. And, you know, all the credit to to Kyle Shanahan and, you know, Robert Sala and, and those coaches out there. Despite the fact that they lost way more than they won, they were always scrappy. They were always in the game. It's just that it really was a talent deficit that ended up killing them last year.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they ended the season with Ezekiel Anza, um, Travis Benjamin, who they also ended up signing, Nick Bosa, uh, Tom Compton, who they ended up signing at one point, D. Ford, who was supposed to be a big part of their pass rush. Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean all these guys ending up the season on injured reserve. Yeah. And just not really having Raheem Mostert part of their rushing attack. I mean, it was it was just every place that they looked to um that they looked to have a benefit uh, for this team going into the 2020 season, finished the season on injured reserve. I mean, it was just rough for them big time. But now you hope that they're able to stay healthy. You also had players that couldn't even start the season, like Brandon Ayuk wasn't really wasn't super available throughout. Uh, Debo Samuel wasn't available to start the season, and so I think you know you look at this roster going into 2021. You've retained a good portion of it. You're bringing back a lot of great players to go ahead and make. Kyle Juszczyk, the highest paid fullback uh, <laughs> in, in the league. But beyond that, they also you know, maintain some of the players they need over on the outside. You're looking for a big jump from a guy like Javon Kinlaw on the interior defensive line this year. Uh, Jaquiski Tart was off to a good start before he ended up on injured reserve as well. So it, it, it's a tough it's it was a tough season for them last year. But they're really looking good in terms of how they might be able to bounce back. But the big question is going to be how long does it take before Trey Lance becomes a starting quarterback in uh, in 2021 or if at all in 2021? He's clearly the future for them. And the only thing that um, that John Lynch has made me feel with how often he keeps coming up and saying, and I guess you could say both him and Kyle Shanahan is how often they're saying Jimmy Garoppolo is my is the is their quarterback Mm -hmm. makes me feel like Jimmy Garoppolo is very much not their quarterback. (laughs) Because usually you only keep saying that for a reason. Um, yeah. And it's to placate the quarterback because you're about to make a different decision.
2: Well, trust me, that's a, a running theme here in Chicago uh, as oh, well. Oh, sure. Because yeah. Matt Nagy is pounding the table that Andy Dalton is his guy. Andy Dalton is our guy. Andy Dalton is our guy. However, also leaving the uh, the doggy door open uh, because he keeps saying things like, we're not going to keep him on the bench just to keep him on the bench. You know, and and very much a will see kind of approach to you know talking out of both sides of his mouth on the whole Mm -hmm. thing, so so that he has something to lean back on if God forbid the preseason goes disastrously for Dalton and Justin Fields ends up being our Week One starter against the Rams uh, on Sunday Night Football. It's like, well, I said this could happen, you know, I said (laughs) that we're not going to keep him on the bench just to keep him on the bench, and that you know we're going to put him out on the field when he's ready, and it just so happens he had an outstanding training camp and we think he's ready now.
3: Right. So oh, look, he's ready.
2: Yeah, exactly. Oh, look at that. Here he is. He's going out there. And and the really interesting question about the 49ers is that they are full stop ready to go right now. They're, they're healthy. They're coming back. They're, they're basically reloaded, if you will, ready to charge at 2021. If they end up making the change to Trey Lance, can that derail the season when he's going back out there, playing his first games, playing at basically two levels higher than what he's been playing at, before, despite his his own talents and everything, the level of competition is definitely not the same, and you know will that will that cause the team to maybe struggle while he gets his footing, and can that cost him, especially in this division?
3: It certainly could yeah, the thing is is that. San Francisco does such a phenomenal job running the football.
2: Yeah, you're right. That
3: if the running backs are healthy and if that running back stable is there, and especially now after they've added Trey Sermon, who I like a ton out of Ohio State, mm-hmm. and you add him to Raheem Mostert and Jamichael Hasty, if that running back room is healthy, which they had trouble with that last year, and they've yeah. had trouble with it the last few years as well, um, that could help him big time to where he can settle in a little bit quicker because they'll have that <laughs> option. But if the running... If the running game isn't there for them, then absolutely it, it could derail them and that you could have a system or, or, or rather a situation much like you saw with Tua Tungabailoa in Miami to where you, you know, you change to Trey Lance and then it's not working. So you go back to Jimmy Garoppolo, then you try Trey Lance again, and then you go back to Jimmy Garoppolo, which is never good <laughs> and it's never going to work <laughs> when you do that. And yeah. so that would be the, the situation where it doesn't work out. But if the running game is kicking, it, it can absolutely help Trey Lance settle in a bit and help the team operate around the limitations that Trey Lance may have in his first season of action.
2: Yeah, and and the way that Kyle Shanahan runs his football team is why I kind of wish that the the Bears had fired John Fox after the 2016 season and hired hired, hired Kyle Shanahan in 2017 because mm-hmm. they're one of the few teams in the NFL aside maybe Baltimore that has an actual fullback on their roster right. and he is the best fullback, which is tantamount to saying that you're the tallest midget. It's not a high bar to cross uh, at this point uh, in the history of the NFL, but they built up the offensive line and they go out and they get a fullback and they run the football. And And I love Kyle Shanahan's mentality because it seems one that, that, that Matt Nagy can be immune to at times is despite how well um, David Montgomery would run the football at times last year, he kept going away from the running game and he would pass for five straight plays or we'd start the second half. David Montgomery's not even on the field kind of thing. Whereas Kyle Shanahan, he will do what I wish Matt Nagy would do, which is he will stick with the hot guy. He will stick with what's working because somebody actually asked him, why did you run the ball like 11 straight plays? And his simple answer was because it was working. Right. We were running the football. We were pounding it down their throats. Why would I stop? If it's working, we're just going to keep on doing it. We're going to dare them to stop it. And then when they stop it, we'll figure something else out. But if it's going to work, then we're just going to keep doing it. And I, I really wish Matt Nagy would do that because Montgomery barely broke 1,000 yards last year. He could have had so much more if he had kept feeding Montgomery uh, the football uh, last season. So I've kind of got this man crush on Shanahan in the way that he a he builds his team running the football, and it, it makes for a much, solid, much more solid foundation, especially with this rookie quarterback they're going to incorporate into the field at some point. Uh, this year, and he and like you mentioned, they might be able to do it and not not have a fall off from Garoppolo to to Lance when they and I mean they might actually be better uh, because Trey Lance is a much better athlete than Garoppolo is, and he can run. And even though he does look a little bony, he's six five and two thirty or something like that. So he's not a yeah. small guy uh, either. But um, you know, it it's 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 something that I admire Shanahan about, and I wish that we had a chance. Uh, to bring him in but we held on to John Fox for one more year so Oof. yeah yeah
3: I one of the questions that I got asked a lot before the draft was which quarterback that will be drafted in 2020 will have the bet or 2021 excuse me yeah will have the most immediate success and I always said whichever one ends up in Kyle Shanahan's system right because there was a lot of questions like was it going to be Justin Fields and there was all that ridiculous talk that it was going to be Mac Jones and then eventually it turned out to be Trey Lance, which makes a lot of sense because then you marry scheme with athleticism yeah. in a really good way. And you, you marry the scheme with a really coachable talent as well. I think all these quarterbacks that were coming in were coachable. But, yeah. you know, you want to make sure you lean into that and then somebody that has the tools that complement all of it. And uh, I, I think it's I think it's a great pair. It's a great match uh, for them. And, uh, and I'm really glad that they're bringing back the, the throwback jerseys, too. Just side note. Yeah, we talked about those, are, being, those being, are really
2: actually awesome yeah. uniforms. Yeah,
3: so I'm really glad to see those come back. So a lot of swagger coming into uh, San Francisco, or rather Santa Clara yeah. uh, in 2021.
2: Very interesting move to have Jerry Rice take part in those photos.
3: Yeah, and then like, to do it, he, they had one of them in jeans too while they were doing it, which was also kind of weird. But yeah, it was all very a <laughs> lot of choices in the midst of all that.
2: It's like, why is Jerry Rice suiting up? Is he gonna? Ch- I know the guy's a you know a physical uh, wonder or a freak or whatever, but at fifty eight, do we really want him back in the NFL right now or however old right, he yeah. is? <laughs> I mean, he retired at like forty two or something like that, and that was a long time ago, so. Yeah. You know he could be close to sixty at this point. So yeah,
3: is that you know there's that whole thing that runs around all the time about you know how uh, who a photo of somebody in a in a jersey that just doesn't look right. Yeah, and it's it's all those photos of, of Jerry Rice in Oakland or or specifically actually Seahawks jerseys. Yeah, that I always kind of cringe at a little bit because you're so accustomed to seeing him as a you know 49er.
2: Well, also person. in the in the Denver uniform that he never got to wear because he got cut oh, in training yeah. camp or whatever. Right. He went to camp with the Broncos there at the very end before he were finally retired uh, and everything. But, you know, I got used to him being in Oakland cause he was there for a few years. So mm-hmm. it didn't look that weird, but uh, it did definitely look weird for him to be in a Seattle uniform. That yeah. was definitely in 2004. Right. That, like yeah. in the new millennium. <laughs> right. Yeah. This was a guy that got drafted in 85. So, and here he is in 2004, 19, 20 seasons later. Um, you know, playing for the Seahawks. So, speaking of which, let's go ahead and talk about number, you know, team number thirty-two out of thirty-two, and wrap this bad boy up. We move on to the Seahawks and close out the NFC West. And this is a team that had quite a bit of drama surrounding it uh, in the off season uh, because apparently Russell Wilson was disgruntled, uh, and then after the whole situation turned out to be much to do about nothing, they tried to play it off as much to do. Uh, about nothing as to say i never really demanded a trade we just said that if there's going to be a trade these are the teams that i would prefer to be traded to and blah 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 and it was attacked that it ended up working for russell i guess because yeah he apparently he's not unhappy with the organization anymore he was just airing his grievances uh out in public and like not being protected and all that kind of stuff not having to say who the offensive coordinator was going to be and all the rest of that stuff but According to the Seahawks, we go in, we're happy and we're ready to charge at 2021 and what kind of football team will they be this year?
3: yeah, I mean that's that's the question like how much does all of this offseason you know uh, rigmarole end up affecting them once they get out on the field uh, in, in, in 2021? are they still cohesive? is you know what's the what's the temperature of it and at what point does Russell Wilson become eventually Uh, Dissatisfied with the team again. And this time, does it happen in the middle of the season as opposed to while they're watching, you know, two other teams play in the Super Bowl from home or really, I guess they were at the stadium. But, you know, I I think that Seattle has every ability to be as explosive as they were last season. And they were explosive a lot last season. I mean, you saw. I mean, you've got DK Metcalf. You've got Tyler Lockett. You have this great wide receiver tandem. You add Dwayne Eskridge to it out of Western Michigan, who right. is just a speed guy. One of their three
2: draft defense. picks this year.
3: Yeah, right. They they had they, three. They, they, That's three. That's crazy. That's insane. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then with the, the next draft pick, they added Trey Brown. And then after that, they added Stone Forsythe. And there you go. That's all their draft picks. That's it. And so – yeah. <laughs> and so it was interesting just to sort of watch them navigate the the offseason and try to pay some attention to the offensive line. Um, you know, and 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 they did add some pieces there for sure. They didn't go there during the draft until the sixth round with that Stone Forsyth selection out of Florida. But I do think he's a good player, but he's gonna be pretty far behind with Dwayne Brown and Jamarco Jones should be ahead of him, and then on the other side you know, you've got Brandon Shell and some of these other guys that are going to be a part of that mix. But, you know, I I do think that this is a team that has the ability to be really effective next season and and can challenge to win this division. They'll be one of the top two teams, and they're certainly one of the top three. I think maybe the biggest question mark in this division is just going to be San Francisco because of the nature yeah. of their quarterback spot. Right. Um, so they should still be up there, and they should still be able to work their way into. Uh, into contention, and certainly they have the the talent to do it. I mean, Jamal Adams had what eight sacks last year, or something like that, God. as a safety—like just insane. And yeah. then, and then just, you have talent all over.
2: I've always been a huge fan of Jamal Adams. I mm-hmm. was uh, screaming bloody murder when uh, we traded up from three to two to get Trubisky. When I wanted wow. Jamal Adams at three. In 2017, right. I thought he would have been a legend in Chicago, an yeah. absolute never have to pay for a drink or meal again legend for the oh, Bears. Yeah. He would have yeah, been. I'll
3: say, Chicago definitely would have treated him better than oh, <laughs> the Jets organization did for sure. Uh, for nine sure. and a half sacks last year.
2: By yeah, way, nine and a half. Yeah, which I think was better than anybody on the Bears last year. To be honest with you, I think <laughs> that I don't think Khalil Mack got double digits last year. I think maybe if he did, it was like ten and a half, maybe. Yeah. But you know, the career that that guy's had, if he, if, you know, you could have had him in Chicago. As much as I love Eddie Jackson, if it's Eddie Jackson or Jamal Adams, I'm going Jamal Adams all day uh, oh, yeah. on that one. It just, what a beast that guy is. Oh, and I was wrong. It wasn't Gabe Jackson in Arizona, it was Rodney Hudson because Gabe Jackson went to Seattle. Yeah, he's I'm a part of who at. they had in Seattle. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So that was my mistake. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's a, um, it's a good football team that they have there uh, in Seattle. They've, they've won uh, the division a few times. Um, and they've made the playoffs four out of the last five seasons. Um, they've won no less than nine games in the last five. So this is a team that is used to winning. They haven't reclaimed that success they had in 2013 and 2014 when they went to back-to-back Super Bowls, but they've been part of the discussion pretty much every single year since Pete Carroll came to town and you know, it, it's been, uh, you know, or actually more specifically since Russell Wilson, uh, came yeah. to town when he became an, and I thought, I thought it was the most ridiculous thing that I'd ever heard that this third round quarterback might start over Matt Flynn, who they just paid like $10 million a season to join the <laughs> team. It was like, that is a bananas idea. Like I cannot believe they're even entertaining it. And he comes in sure enough, starting week one, uh, you know, and they take him right to the playoffs and it's like, okay, I'll shut up Russell Wilson. I guess I guess Russell Wilson is legit and he has been every single year. And if there was somebody that the Bears had to give up the three first round picks for, I take Russell Wilson over Deshaun Watson any day of the week oh, as far sure. as that goes. I mean, as far as I mean, and also as far as like keeping or or, or like trying to win now. Wilson, to me, seems like that guy that elevates everyone around him. So what would he be able to do with a Darnell Mooney or, a, or, or a, um, an Allen Robinson or a Cole Komet or, or something like that? It's like we can, we can wade through the years that we don't have picks with Wilson and then definitely, you know, re- reload and build up a team around him when we have our trade assets or our draft assets back and everything. I, I would have taken Wilson over Watson a million times out of a million uh, as far as that goes, I would have loved to have him uh, in Chicago and I would have hated to see those tra- those draft picks go. But if it gets me Russell Wilson in return, I'd be okay with that. Deshaun Watson, I'd be screaming bloody murder to this moment that we gave that up for him. Glad to have Deshaun Watson wasn't worth all that we gave up to get him. I would have had the exact opposite feeling about Russell Wilson.
3: Yeah, I completely agree because the the Saints were very much in that conversation or not. They weren't in the conversation that ever actually really. They
2: were on the list on that,
3: but they were on the list. Yes. And so, you know, I felt the exact same way there because I think a lot of Saints fans would want Deshaun Watson would have. Let me say it that way. Wanted Deshaun Watson (laughs) over Russell Wilson. But I was very much the opposite. Like, give me the guy that's already proven he can do it. Right. You know, give me the guy that has proven that he can do it with less than he's than with less than what he has right now. Mm-hmm. On top of that, and yeah. uh, I I would have just been over the moon with that, and I think it would have been a, a a great move for uh, for Chicago. But obviously, things ended up just fine. Yeah, uh, in Chicago after draft night. Um, well,
2: Pete Carroll didn't want to start over, and that's the reason why it didn't yeah. go through. He kind of vetoed uh, the trade, even if you know if I don't know if Russell or excuse me, if if Seattle ever considered the trade or or anything mm-hmm. like that. But we do know that you know I mean Ryan Pace himself said an offer was made. Uh, to the Seahawks, and it just didn't, it didn't take. They said no, so they had to move on. And 24 hours later, we signed Eddie Dalton. But uh, right. <laughs> you know, and then you know, draft night happens, and it was like, okay, all is forgiven at least for now. Right? Anyway, you okay. can keep your right. job for 2021. Uh, you're lucky that you. God, I'm so glad that all worked out. But you know, <laughs> you know God, it just the, the the outlook of 2021, dude. It just was not there. It just was yeah. not there. It's like this would have all been just grim just waiting for it to be over with so we can move on to 2022. Now, at least I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Might still not be a great year, but you know, there's a future to be had with this team now. So, yeah, but, um, with the Seahawks, um, you know, with, with Russell Wilson making the kind of money that he does, he's in that 30 to $40 million a year, uh, conversation. Um, you know, they've, uh, you know, they, they had their biggest years with him, when he was on that third round rookie contract uh and everything and they've kind of they haven't had trouble getting to the playoffs or having that kind of success since he had to get paid but they haven't had that world-beating success where they're going to the Super Bowl and they thought that last year might be that year with them starting 5 and 0 and Russell Wilson throwing four touchdowns a game in those first right. 5 games and all that kind of stuff but i don't know if it was injuries or if the rest of the NFL just cracked the Seattle code because after starting 5 and 0 they went 7 and 4 the rest of the way um and granted they won four in a row at the end of the season but they struggled there in the middle of the year where they, where they went, you know, three and four after starting five. I mean, three and four. So they're eight and four going into the last four seasons, as last four games of the season. And then they had a terrible showing in that wild card game and make the early exit in the playoffs when they were basically a Super Bowl favorite going into the season.
3: Yeah. And there was that stretch too, to where they had uh, some rough games. They won three out of four, week six through nine, up against... Arizona, San Francisco, then they had Buffalo and Los Angeles. So they had, and, and the Rams. So they had their three division opponents all within four weeks mm-hmm. and they lost all, but the game against San Francisco. But right in those four games, uh, seven interceptions over that time, seven of the 13 right. that were thrown. And those were the only multi interception games that Russell Wilson had. Now, both of those Seattle, Arizona games were phenomenal games. Yeah. Um, throughout throughout the course of that season because then they would follow up and then have a, a win against Arizona that very next week in week 10 but it really was kind of like that middle portion of the season where things just kind of felt like they were falling off three games in a row to where he threw at least one interception so it was kind of interesting to see where that all mixed up but he really get, they really got kind of mixy over the course of losing those three games in four weeks and of course they only had four losses in the entire season
2: and they were kind of like the the Steelers of the NFC Last year, whereas like when the mm-hmm. when the season started, it just looked like man, these guys are just going to run through everybody, you know. Right. Like they 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 appear to be you know unstoppable. They're on to a five and zero start and and just like that. And then at the end of the season, and it, it granted, they ended their season with four straight victories, but they played the Jets and the 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 Washington football team uh, in in right. part of those those four wins uh, at the end. But it's just. You know, they, they did they look like a shell of their former selves and they got ousted early on uh in the playoffs. Same thing that happened with the Steelers. It's like once they figured out how to stop the Steelers, how to slow them down, they made the early exit in the wild card round uh as well. So the early season promise did not translate into postseason success.
3: Yeah, it was like once that blueprint was there, then all of a sudden everyone knew how to approach how yeah. to approach the game.
2: And it was just a matter of whether or not you could execute that plan in order to get a victory over the Seahawks and um, you know the Rams even though um, you know they lost just two weeks prior uh, in Seattle were able to go back to Seattle and uh, you know 30 to 20, honestly the game wasn't that close. the, the Rams dominated that football game uh, against the Seahawks including a pick six on Russell Wilson that really kind right. of put the game out of reach uh, for Seattle. So just not a very good performance for them at all and then that's where the where kind of the, the ruckus kind of began. With them because the Rams got were in Russell Wilson's face the whole game, knocking him around. A game that they started with, who was the quarterback for the? Because it wasn't Jared Goff because he had a broke broken thumb oh, or whatever. Yeah. I can't remember his name, but he gets pinged in the first uh, in the first quarter, so Goff has to come in, and even with Goff and and four and a half fingers, somehow manages to beat uh, the Seahawks, and that's because Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd and company did not let Russell Wilson breathe in that game.
3: Yeah, I'm trying to figure out who that that backup quarterback was because that was such a wild situation all yeah. told but yeah I mean it was uh, it was just kind of a turbulent season for the team and then they eventually you know just ended up falling short but I think that they'll hopefully be in a better position this year heading in but you know you got to wonder what's kind of like the Aaron Rodgers situation
2: mm-hmm. you
3: kind of wonder like if nothing happens this year what is what happens to this team over the course of the next offseason
2: yeah John Wolford was his name
3: John
2: Wolford, yes. (laughs) Who was the chosen starter for that game? Because Sean McVay had basically had his had his had reached his limit with Jared Goff, despite the fact they're going to the playoffs, no matter what, whether they were the sixth seed or the seven, they're going to the playoffs and we're going with John Wolford, not the number one overall pick from four years ago. So uh yeah, Jared Goff oh, boy, only was only, on the wall, or what? Yeah, Jared Goff only played in that game because he had to, not because Sean McVay wanted it that way. So, yeah, right. you're right. The writing was definitely on the wall, and uh, you know, but it should be interesting out there in, in LA with the with the Rams and their new quarter quarterback. And um, you know, will the Seattle be able to maintain? Can they can they maintain success in what we've dubbed the best division in football? Can can they do it again? This magazine that I have picks them to finish last in the division. So I don't know if that's the, going to happen. The Seahawks? Yeah. They've picked the Seahawks Ooh. to finish last. This is the Interest. Athlon Sports uh Athlon preview. Oh, so yeah. they're they're picking the Seahawks to be dead last in the NFC West. Even behind the wow. uh even behind the Arizona Cardinals. So uh that's a that's a bold prediction, uh, in my in my estimation, but um you know, in this division, who knows? Because like we said earlier as well, it will also kind of be determined by the fact that, uh, you know, do these, do these guys eat each other alive during the regular season? And will, mm-hmm. the, 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 will the team that's last man standing actually be able to, you know, will they have enough to, to carry through yeah. the postseason? Right. They pulverize each yeah. other. Or did the they just murder each the other in process to be early easy pickings for whoever they play in the, in the in the playoffs? Yeah. So let's talk about that. We're we're we've moved on here. We've we've previewed all 32 teams or at least all 16 in the NFC uh, at this point. What are we looking at for for playoff teams? I'll let you go first this time. Yeah, so I'm going to take the
3: Rams to win the NFC West Yep, Tampa to win the NFC. So for me, they're the number one
1: seed Um,
3: Tampa to win the NFC South number two seed there. Uh, Just because I think in order for the Rams to actually win the NFC West, they're going to have to have a pretty big uh pretty nice schedule they have yeah. a pretty nice record there mm-hmm. um i'm gonna do this i decided that i'm gonna go with it as if aaron Rodgers does play at least a portion okay. of the season just okay. so that we get a little bit of variety there <laughs> uh, so i'm gonna take green bay to be the number three seed winning the nfc north i think it could be one of those situations to where he like sits out the first few games but then comes back in so he still vests his year sure uh and plays the eight games that he needs to in order to do that and then uh, I've got the Washington Football Team winning the NFC East with the wild card seeds. They would be the fourth seed, and the wild card seeds four, five, six, and seven being Seattle, Arizona. I've got the NFC West sending two, or sending three teams to the playoffs, and then Minnesota coming in for the seventh seed.
2: Okay, I have Rams one, Bucks two, Washington three, because I'm going as though Aaron Rodgers does not play uh, right. this year. Minnesota four. Uh, and also sending three teams to the, from the NFC West to the playoffs, but i 'm going San Francisco five, Seattle six, and then I really, really fought on seven. It was gonna, It came down to the Cowboys and the Saints, but in the end, I went with the Cowboys something. <laughs> I, I went with Cowboys at seven, so that 's where we got Rams, Bucks. I want to, I want to say skins please pick a new name, damn it. Uh, <laughs> the football team, the Vikings, the 49ers, the Seahawks and the Cowboys to make the playoffs in the NFC side. Got it. So yeah, I
3: think both, it's interesting. I, I, both of us have have the Saints not in the playoffs and I think that's very possible. I mean I think they could be a competitive team
2: mm-hmm. but I think
3: just because of what the rest of the what the conference looks like, even if this team does win nine games, potentially even 10 games, they could still miss the playoffs
2: right. Yeah, it could be like the AFC last year, where a ten and six Miami team did not make the exactly. did not make the playoffs. It could happen on the NFC side uh, this yeah, year, and that
3: and that seventeen game just makes it. It does, yeah. All the, much, all, the all the much harder. Uh, so then that gives me Minnesota and Tampa matching up with the Rams getting the bye week. So I've got uh, Tampa moving on. Then I've got Arizona and Green Bay. I actually picked Arizona. Nice, I to like move it on there. And then uh, Washington versus Seattle with Seattle moving on, Okay. um, which gave me then Arizona going against the Rams with the Rams moving on, Seattle going up against Tampa with Tampa moving on. And then what I think truly would be the uh, NFC championship game this year, the Rams going up against the Bucs. And I could go either way on this for fun. I'm going to say that the Rams move on Mm -hmm. just because I think the Rams versus the Chiefs would be a phenomenal Super Bowl. Yep especially this year, uh, it wouldn't be like when the Rams moved on and took on the Patriots not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, it would be a much better Super Bowl than that in this situation.
2: So would have the Saints and the Patriots that year, Ross. We all know oh, that. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> that would have been a much better football game than, than, than the most boring Super Bowl in history, 13-3. Uh, to 3, Give me a break. Kudos to the New England Patriots and their defensive effort in that one. But um, when, when the MVP of the game is the one guy who actually did something offensively uh, in that people. one, you know, it's like, good God, you know. Um, all right, so we got the two and seven is the Bucks and the Cowboys, so we got the Bucks moving on there. Three and six is Washington and Seattle. I give that one to the Skins, home field advantage, East Coast, West Coast team going to the East Coast. I got to give, give that one to the, to the football team. Mm-hmm. And then uh, three, or excuse me, four and five is Minnesota versus San Francisco. I took the 49ers in that mm. one. So we, in round two, we have L.A. versus San Francisco. Low seed goes to the highest seed. Um, we take the Rams there. Tampa Bay and Washington in round two, a rematch of last year's wild card oh, cool. game. Outstanding football game. Take the Bucs. So we got the same AFC, NFC championship game, Rams and Buccaneers, and I'm also taking the Rams. To go to the nice Super Bowl, so yeah, Rams. I think that defense Rams should make all the difference. Yeah, yeah, I do as uh, as well. So hopefully, you know Raheem Morris won't hit a transition snag or anything, and he just keep this well oiled machine of a defense uh, uh, going because they're poised to repeat last year's performance as you know one of the best teams. So hopefully, it all doesn't come down to scheme and Brandon Staley's just smarter than Raheem Morris is. Uh you know, hopefully that right. he can put that talent to work like like uh Staley did and be as successful as they were last year.
3: Yeah. And I think the added ingredient of Matthew Stafford also yeah. huge, just huge benefits that
2: team. Huge. And that's that's what put it over the top uh mm-hmm. for me. Because that was definitely a big thing that went wrong for the Rams last year was number one, just the turmoil over the fact that we all knew golf wasn't the chosen starter. For them right. anymore that he was willing he being Sean McVay was willing to go with Wolford as his starting quarterback, choosing him to be the quarterback uh you know to start over uh golf uh despite the lack of any kind of resume and the fact that golf had already taken him to a super Bowl uh in twenty eighteen and everything it's like never mind all of that, I want this guy instead out there spoke volumes about what was going on in l a last year, so Having Matt Stafford out there, you know, um, Sean McVay walking around with a big, huge dad boner over that right now. So, you know, he's already in love with the idea. And I think it's going to get the the Rams to the Super Bowl this year. I really do.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the that's the thing for them. So I'm I'm excited to see. I I mentioned it before and I, I tried to not let it show too much that i was projecting them to win the nfc but i mean i that's one of the reasons why i'm excited to see the rams because i think they're going to be the best team in the conference next season yeah
2: uh me too and we get to see them week one when uh it might not be as extreme as it would be say week 16 or week 17 uh at the end of the season when they're a well-oiled machine uh uh and everything so maybe we might be able to steal one from the rams in one of those one of those fluke week one victories uh and everything so sure knock on wood that uh, maybe that can happen. So Ross, this has been amazing, man. Uh, Two, two shows. uh, We talked a lot, a lot. And we, we covered all 32 teams and uh, you know, it's been a blast. And uh, of course you're locked on saints and then locked on NFL. Where can we find you uh, online? Yeah,
3: absolutely. So you can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson. No, that's the best and easiest way to keep up and you can find locked on NFL and locked on saints, wherever you get your podcast. This has been an absolute Pleasure, man. It's been a lot of fun, so I appreciate you having me on to uh, to go through all these teams and predict, you know, take a look at the NFL for next season. I'm I'm excited for camp to get started and football's just right around the corner.
2: Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. So, no Bears and Saints this year, so we'll have to manufacture a reason like I did this time to get you back on the show uh, at some point because i I think we play the South again next year, so maybe that uh, maybe that'll be a reason to have you on the show, or or maybe you could just do us a favor and finish in the same place so we can, you know. Have that same place opponent thing going in at the very yeah, least. Yeah, there you go. So we can look at that. Just have a conversation <laughs> with Sean Payton, see if you can make that happen. You finish finish second in the South this year, you there know. You then you come back and you know, because we're finished second behind Minnesota. Let's let it Green go. Bay. Take a, take a rest, Sean. Yeah, Let's let it go. Just take Bye. a breather. You know, you don't have to if win the division the house, every year. Don't be right. selfish. So,
3: <laughs> If nothing else, we can come back at playoff time and see how close we were with our predictions. There you go.
2: There you go. Genius Ross Jackson. This is why we have you on the show for these <laughs> brilliant ideas. So we'll talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you again real soon, man. This has been Flass. Absolutely. Really appreciate you. <laughs> As always, want to thank my good friend Ross Jackson from Locked On, Locked On NFL and Locked On Saints for, uh, for joining me uh, for these last two episodes. You know, it's, it's funny to me because when, when I asked Ross to do this, I was envisioning maybe an hour, hour and 15 minutes per episode. And uh, we ended up doing double that and then some for each conference. You know, like I thought that the two shows total Uh, would would uh, would top out around two and a half hours or so and then we did that just on the AFC (laughs) and then we came back and did another half hour on the NFC on top of the two and a half hours uh, you know equaling the two hours that we did in the AFC and then you know tacking on about another 25 minutes uh, or so uh, on that so you know, Ross and I started recording at about noon on that Saturday. We got done around six. Like it it was my entire Saturday was sitting here at my desk talking, f- talking AFC, NFC uh, with Ross Jackson. And I could do that forever. That's how much fun uh, that was. So hopefully we'll we'll create a reason to have him back. Like you, you heard him mention, uh, maybe we'll 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 have him on like at midseason, like maybe during the bye week. Or something like that. We'll make it part of uh, part of the episode where we have Lauren Cox come back and and, and talk about where the Bears are at uh, during the bye week and, and see how well our predictions uh, are doing uh, at the midway point of the season. Then bring them back at the end of the year to see how we did. Did did the Rams and the Chiefs both go to the Super Bowl and uh, how did that work out? How did the NFC turn out with uh, Green Bay having Aaron Rodgers and? and all that kind of stuff, and, uh, you know, what, what questions were answered. When did Justin Fields uh, play? Did he play in 2021? So, you know, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting argument on uh, if Justin Fields doesn't play at all in 2021, is that a good or a bad thing? And you can come at it from both angles. It's, it's a good thing because I guess that meant that Andy Dalton was playing so well and the Bears were winning that they could afford to let Justin Fields just sit and continue to learn Uh, in 2021 or you know I can't really see the bad point of it like I mean you know Justin getting hurt in practice or something disastrous like that Um, sorry I put that out there I didn't mean to but uh, anyway we'll uh, we'll have to manufacture a reason to have Ross back because you know that that was just too much fun so um, anyway that's it guys from here we move on to the uh, to the preseason So two weeks from now when the Bears and the Dolphins meet up at Soldier Field on that glorious Saturday afternoon, we'll get to get our first look at Andy Dalton, our first look at Justin Fields and, uh, you know, Tevin Jenkins, Larry Baram, Daz Newsome, if he's ready to go off of the pup list uh, uh, and everything. uh, Thomas Graham Jr. and uh, Khalil Herbert. Am I missing anybody? Oh, yeah. Kyrus Tonga. That's our other draft choice. See those guys and, and all the other new bears like Desmond Trufant and uh, um, Elijah Wilkerson. Well, he's gonna be competing with Jenkins at left tackle uh in training camp and uh the 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 new and improved uh James Daniels now that he's back from his peck injury and he's ready to go and all that kind of stuff. I'm just excited uh to see it all. So uh yeah. Um so that'll be the next time you hear from me, unless unless we can get uh we can get Brett Coleman uh, back because uh, Brett Coleman put out an awesome video on YouTube on, on his channel, the, uh, the, the film room on YouTube. Uh, he did an uh, it's, it was the video is called the fixer and it's talking about Justin Fields and how basically he can fill the void that both let quarterbacks left behind. Like he talked about how the bears were a more effective running team when Mitch was the quarterback, because Mitch was also a threat to, To run, So on those run option plays where, you know, there was a chance that Mitch might keep the ball and run, depending on what the defender is doing, that would they would freeze the defense so that they would have to see what Mitch was doing and therefore give, you know, David Montgomery or Tariq Cohen or whatever, uh, you know, an extra step before the defense reacted to them actually having the ball. And then the opposite was was true when Nick Foles is out there, he was no threat to run. So they always knew that he was going to give the ball to, uh, to you know, to, um, well, Cohen was done by the time Foles took over, but uh, to David Montgomery and, uh, you know, our running backs that, uh, um, Cordell Patterson, excuse me, he was our other uh, running back uh, when uh, when Foles was out there, um, you know. So it's like our passing game improved some. When, when Foles was out there, because he was the better passer, the more accurate thrower, and so on. Uh, but our running game suffered, and vice versa. Mitch was not a very accurate passer outside of that, you know, like 10, 15 yard range where, you know, that, that short rollout passing game that the Bears employed when he first came back. But our running game was better when Mitch was there because he was also a threat to run. So it gave our running backs an extra step before the defense reacted and in the NFL, that can be all the daylight you need to turn like a two-yard run into a 20-yard run. So uh, really, really great video. You can go and check it out. And like I said, I'll see if I can get uh, Brett on the show to talk about that because he's actually also a Bears fan. I think he mentioned that when we had him on to talk about the Texans last year. And hell, there's another team I'd love to talk to him about, like what is going on Uh, with this organization you know the GM the head coach that nobody's really ever heard of. I mean only like football insiders had ever heard of David Cully and now he's the head coach uh, of the Houston Texans so what is going on down there does he have any hope whatsoever for the 2021 season I'll see if I can wrangle Brett and get him on the show to uh to talk to us about that if not then you're gonna I'm gonna take a little break and the next time you hear from me I'll be reviewing. The week one preseason matchup between the Bears and the Dolphins. Then I'll be back to talk about the Bears and the Bills. The return of Mitch Trubisky to Soldier Field. We should see a lot of him in that preseason game, backing up Josh Allen. Um, and then uh, the Bears and the Titans, the, the weekend of the 28th. And then we'll have a break between two weeks between the final preseason game and the Bears and uh, Rams kicking off season uh, week one of the season on Sunday night football. So we'll have to figure out uh, what we're going to do in that little space uh, between. So um, yeah, anyway, that's going to do it for me guys. Uh, Keep your eyes peeled on the, uh, the social media, the BTU underscore Larry on Twitter and on Instagram to see uh, maybe if I was able to uh, get Brett Coleman back to talk about that. Justin Fields uh, video and how he feels just having uh, Justin on the team will uh will help out the offense as an in, as a whole uh because they'll have to uh they'll have to defend against both because fields was an outstanding runner for ohio state and he's probably the and he's like literally showing statistics about how fields was the most accurate passer out of anybody in this quarterback class uh last season so we got ourselves a good one folks so anyway um like i said keep your eyes peeled maybe that episode will drop if not then we will see you to review our week one preseason matchup with the Miami Dolphins. And until then, my name is Larry D. And this has been the Bears Talk Underground.
0: Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate.